Aswanya. No, that's the wrong continent. <laughs> the rescuers down under. It's like a trial run for the Lion King, but more like Fern Gully. They made the Little Mermaid, and then they were like, "Oh shit, we're making this Rescuers Down Under, and we have to finish it and release it." But we really want to get to the Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin, so let's just make it real short. Hey, check it out! No, 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 <laughs> no. That, I just wanted to. I just wanted to do it once. Okay. Here's the thing: is that we can't get a copyright strike against it because it's barely recognizable. That's what you're worried about? That was my big concern, too. At any moment, the RIAA is going to shut us the fuck down. Like we were LimeWire. Like James, <laughs> James Hetfield is going to Copyright infringe around me. All I can see. Every time I have to label an MP3, I think of LimeWire. Are you still dealing with metadata at this in this the year of our Lord 2022? I have like three tagging programs and okay. a JavaScript plugin. I should have remembered who I'm dealing with. The face that Coriander <laughs> made when Anna gave her shit about <laughs> metadata was like Anna just said something about her parents. It was it was horrifying. You were furious. I don't think she'd get that mad if I said stuff about her parents. Completely. I don't know. Or Ian, maybe. Or beer. <laughs> What's the thing you like? Dinosaurs? <laughs> I don't know. Dinosaurs that transform into trains? Yeah, they suck. That's what my official stance is now. No. What? What? <laughs> what? Are you, oh, are you talking about the Dinobots from Transformers? Yes, I'm talking about Anna's love of Dinobots. <laughs> oh, Corey. <laughs> There's a lot of Sentai, and it's hard to remember all of it. Hey, Cor hey, Corey, I defy you to open the show. <laughs> Hello, my name is Coriander Dickinson, and this is Hey, Check It Out, a show where one of us shows a movie to the others who haven't seen it or probably forgot that they saw it. This time, <laughs> I picked Rescuers Down Under from 1990. Josh, introduce yourself. Hey everyone, I'm Josh A. Kagan, and today I watched The Rescuers Down Under because Corey made me, and then because nobody made me, I also watched The Rescuers, because I had not seen it since I saw it in the theaters in, like, 1980. So I'll be, I'll be doing a little vague compare and contrasting between the two uh, Rescuers universes. Have, have you read the novels? Uh... The RCU? <laughs> Are you making fun of me for expending any amount no. of effort? No, of course not. <laughs> it's so Josh, you expect arguably the most effort of anybody on this podcast. Okay, I can I can immediately say a brief aside. The one of the beefs people have with Down Under is that it doesn't follow the novels. I'll say this: I am interested in looking at the novels now because I'm interested in what this was all supposed to be but anyways we can get into all of this anna why don't you introduce yourself oh hello i didn't see you there <laughs> my name's, wow my how did you turn anna. around so elegantly that's just a, it's a talent that i have uh my name's anna uh i also watched the rescuers down under but i only watched it the one time and i did not rewatch the rescuers although i'm certain i saw it at least once as a child and i'm pretty sure i had one of those one of those books with the record in it that told you the story of the movie. Oh, those are great. With the, the sound buttons you had to push? No, no, like it came with a record and you listened to it and read along. And it had it had pictures from the film. 
All I remember is that there was a there's a dragonfly named Evan Rude who is an outboard motor, and that's a joke because that's a brand of outboard motors. I didn't catch that uh, on my viewings, and my mother laughed her ass off, and that's how she always <laughs> refers to the film. She's just like, and that is that bug. That's an outboard motor called Evan Rude. Yeah, it's that's probably one of the more clever jokes in the movie. Oh, and there's a lot of child abuse, and there's a teddy bear with a diamond. There is not, you mentioned this the last time around, unless I was looking down at my phone in the scene <laughs> where Miss Medusa uh, beat Penny with a wire hanger. Um, she's just a kid and I can, I can, I can. It's I emotional can, abuse, Josh. It's a, a children's adventure movie and a child's been kidnapped. Like, and if this is a trigger, then completely <laughs> understandable. If you were also as a child kidnapped by Miss Medusa and forced to live yeah. in a bog. Yeah, that's abuse. That's what I call abuse. I understand it's abuse, but that's like saying that the Wizard of Oz is about a girl who's been a bit like it's like it's a have you not seen Return to Oz. I have not seen Return to Oz in a very long time. It's a child story. She's not beaten with a switch. It's just like it's there's just... lots of child stories where people are beaten with switch. I you know what? You're right. I'm being I am being I'm being very narrow. It's just sort of like it's a cartoon in order to save a kid. A kid's got to be in peril. I'm not saying it's like martyrs or something. <laughs> yes, I understand. <laughs> to, to think of the, it's not mysterious skin. <laughs> I'm just like, what are the worst examples I can think of? <laughs> right. I'm just saying it, it feels if it, it feels to me an old person. And I understand by my reaction to it that I am pushing back. I understand I'm pushing back too hard. But for me, it's just like. Oh, it's a it's a movie where a kid needs to be saved, so a kid needs to be in danger, and calling that abuse feels weird. In that there are people who have suffered actual. I don't know. I I get. I, I understand your. I understand your point. The funny thing about that movie, one way or the other, is that Disney Plus says in its warning, rated G use of tobacco. Meanwhile, there's like a <laughs> muskrat. Who is huffing gas or some <laughs> shit? Drinking <laughs> fucking moonshine. Yeah. How do you know it's oh, in the man. swamp? It's because you know you know it's in the swamp. But we're not here to talk about the rescuers. We're here to talk about the rescuers down under. A sequel that came out a thousand million years later. Yes, I have things to say about it. Say things. <clears throat> Please save your questions for the end. In 1986, Steve Jobs had been pushed out of Apple, but still had time and money, so he gave $5 million to George Lucas and then invested another $5 million to become the major shareholder in a spin-off company from a Lucasfilm computer division. Three months after the acquisition and the, the big spin-out, they commercially released the Pixar Image Computer. Not a lot of people bought them. Wikipedia says 300 units were sold. Some of those units were bought by Disney, which worked together with Pixar to create a piece of software called Computer Animation Production System. All the cool kids call it CAPS, and everyone's a very big fan of it. In traditional hand animation, what you do is an animator sketches on paper the lines for the animation frame by frame, then another person takes a transparent sheet overlays it on top, draws the lines in ink, then someone else probably takes the thing, flips it over, paints the colors on the other side, and then you take a big stack of these, overlay it over top a pretty background, and take a picture with the camera. With the cap system, they scan in the paper lines and then do all of the 
inking and painting and the compositing and final rendering in a computer. So you can have like nice gradients and things and you don't have to store a lot of paint. <laughs> Is that the primary advantage of the, the, the increased storage space in your studio? That's it. That's all you need. Less paint. Less paint for the huffing. More working, less huffing. So caps was used during the entire Disney Renaissance. They stopped using it later in the 2000s because computers got better. Uh, and Rescuers Down Under is the first feature film produced using it. Mm. Yes. Also the first Disney feature sequel. It's a direct sequel mm -hmm. to Rescuers. The Rescuers. I always get that mixed up. It was 1977's The Rescuers let's say, uh, which was re-released in theaters in 1989. It was its third time through, and during that run, it grossed $21.2 million domestically. Mm. Rescuers Down Under was released the following year. They brought back original cast members like Bob Newhart as Bernard and Ava Gabor as Bianca. Jim Jordan, who voiced Orville, the albatross, died in 88, so he was replaced by John Candy, voicing the character's brother, Wilbur. It's set in Australia because people like Australia, but the opening numbers made Jeffrey Katzenberg so sad that he pulled all of the TV advertising. Total, it did $27.9 million domestically. Opening numbers. I thought, I was like, I don't remember this being a musical, Corey. <laughs> yeah. And that was yeah. a problem. <laughs> he was like, Jeffrey Katzenberg watched like the first two numbers, the first few musical numbers, and was like, these make me so sad. I'm not advertising this film. It's too sad. Anyway, now I know what you meant. Please continue. It's 27.9 million total. And it's, it's run domestically. Uh, people don't really talk about it. It got a little bit swept under the rug. I myself loved the idealized version of childhood where you run around and have cool talking animal friends. And there's massively impressive just heights and depths on screen, landscape. But they get to apply that at two layers because there's like a borrower's style underground society of mice and stuff that mirrors real world in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. The danger feels pretty grounded as guns and crocodiles and falling off cliffs are very normal things that can kill you. And the best part is a child gets to fly on the back of a giant eagle. That was the absolute best when I was a kid. Even, even mm. now, I'm actually appreciating it more now since I've, I've seen a lot more cartoons and uh, movies. What do you, do you two think? Anna. Uh, what do I think? I think, I think that this is a solid three out of five stars from Anna. When I sang Fern Gully, that's like, that's the thing that feels closest to me in terms of like, I can see what it was trying to do. It accomplishes some of that. But it doesn't because like when you put it in the context of the Disney Renaissance, like something like like your Little Mermaid, your Aladdin, et cetera, it really does feel like, oh, we started this project before the Little Mermaid came out and we, we weren't going to just shut it down. We made them finish it. We didn't necessarily work on it as hard as we would have otherwise because we knew it was coming down the pipe and we realized that this felt like part of an older, the, an older style of Disney movie that we were trying not to make anymore. Like the sort of mid-range, we're trying to make these like more upscale events that that people would like because it just there's something about it that feels it feels slow. That's pacing is weird. Like it feels like some things just take a really long time to happen, and it's just 
and it doesn't i don't know it feels like there's less payoff for a lot of things than than you really would would anticipate in a lot of ways and it sort of feels a bit rushed to me in some like like it needed like another six months or so to really like get it firing on all the cylinders and nobody wanted to do that compared to the films that book bookend like that surround it like your little mermaid and i believe aladdin came out afterwards if beauty I'm and the beast mistaken. is it beauty and the beast then aladdin okay you put this in between little mermaid and beauty and the beast and it is the odd one out for sure a lot of the animation is stunning but it just feels like there's less care put into it like the animal designs are very good but the design for mcleach is just like compared to ursula like compared to Gaston, he's nothing. He's like a, he's kind of like a squishy nothing that I don't like very ever, much. Have you ever watched uh, Crocodile Dundee? No, I've seen Crocodile. That's not the problem. Hmm. George C. Scott does a, uh, does a fine job like acting the crap out of his dialogue. It's honestly like the way he feels like he's animated very differently than everybody else. And they're always focusing on giving him these grotesque appearances. And he's very wobbly as a I don't know. It's just like if they were doing like like a lineup of classic Disney villains and they included him, he'd be like way in the back somewhere. Like even Medusa is a, like a more interesting, compelling villain than him from the original Rescuers. Like I can remember her like angularness and her wacky hair very distinctly. She's very similar to um, the witch from uh, Sword in the Stone. You know, I remember her perfectly. And like this guy's just so kind of generic. Anyway, like it's fine. Like that's the thing is it's not bad, but it just feels really out of place in in that era like it feels more like you know something they made after black cauldron than something they made after little mermaid i haven't seen black cauldron though so that's suspicious i remember really enjoying that but black cauldron bled money for disney like that oh, sure was all, yeah that was almost that was almost the last straw for them entirely do you mind if i fill in a little from the research that i have done please go right ahead i have i have said my piece so First of all, the thing that we need to know about The Rescuers 1977 is that it was considered to be a resurgence and renaissance for Disney animation. It got the best reviews of any animated Disney movie in, like, years. Uh, which is weird looking back because people fucking love Robin Hood and people, I mean, everybody wants to fuck <laughs> that box. Hey, <laughs> save me a place in line. Uh, but so The Rescuers did really really well for disney like shockingly well and when katzenberg and eisner took over in the mid 80s one of the things that they did when they were looking at like new possible pieces of business is they looked at the box office receipts for the rescuers up until that point and went holy shit this is our most successful movie to date this is our this has made more money than any of our any uh, other animated films. We have to make a sequel to this. And because Crocodile Dundee was a big hit in 1986, they decided to set it down under. They then also decided to make it their first action adventure movie, which is why it doesn't have any songs in it. They thought it was oh. going they thought songs would slow it down. This is around like 1986. This now dovetails into Corey's research because Caps is introduced and they make the decision to basically road test all of this new technology on Rescuers Down Under. So Rescuers Down Under becomes a thing along the same lines as like the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles or Radioland Murders, which is to say these are things that basically a Lucas or a Disney or a Spielberg or whoever got a pile of money from a studio to test new shit out. 
they started this in 1986. It didn't come out until 1990, which was a problem for a bunch of reasons, mostly because nobody gave a shit about us. People still love Australia. We love you, Australia. <laughs> oh, no, I've seen the Simpsons episode. I know what happened. Yes, exactly. So that had all kind of worn off. That was a problem. The reason why it took so long was because Caps was a fucking brand new piece of technology and software that kept breaking. And so they were told like, this is gonna save us so much money. All we need from you is $10 million. You're Disney, you got that in your change drawer. It ended up costing them $30 million. It did not save them any money, but luckily from there, the movie scaled up in box office receipts. So a bunch of things happened. And this is my own theory. I didn't see anything like this, but it goes gently counter to what you were saying, Anna. Mm. I think Disney, because DuckTales was doing so well, and by the way, in 1990s, we also get a DuckTales movie. I don't know if that was theatrical right. or if that came out to video. But I think Disney was trying to do like, we're going to have the real nice, nice movies. And mm -hmm. then we'll have the, you know, just knock them around movies that'll, you know, that like maybe fill gaps that will be uh, what Robert Wilson and Philip Glass used to call knee plays between their big, big movies. And then the production of uh, Rescuers Down Under had a lot of problems. The computer never worked. The animators wanted to make the lead kid, our Cody, they wanted to make him aboriginal. And yep. they wanted to hire an Aboriginal mm. actor to play that. And Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner and Disney went, nah. They also wanted to include a psychedelic sequence inspired by Aboriginal cave paintings where Bernard and oh. uh, Mrs. Bianca go into them. Uh, and that was also shot down. Um, and apparently the people who worked on that took that exact concept and ported it over to Prince of Egypt, which Katzenberg produced. Yep. Uh, and apparently he was fine with that then. On top of everything else, it opened against Home Alone. Mm -hmm. Oh, dear. And so after the first weekend, and again, this dovetails into what Corey was saying, uh, after that weekend, they pulled all the radio and TV ads and everything, and they were just like, this thing's dead. They released it on video, and I think I, I think it gently made its money back. What it is now, it has become sort of this footnote for like, this is the first time that this technology was used in a feature, as Corey said. The actual first time CAPS was used, this was interesting, uh, it was in the introduction of the new version of Wonderful World of Disney that Eisner hosted. Oh, yeah. I watched the shit out of that. Sure, we all did. It is a weird little footnote, and it is an interesting movie, and I agree with you, Anna, that there are ideas in it that feel half-formed. Although I will also say, Anna, if you thought Rescuers Down Under was slow, <laughs> no need no need to revisit the rescuers. Yeah. Oh, old animated movies are always, like, weirdly slow, and I hate it. You know how I feel about older animation. <laughs> I, I know, I know. <laughs> McGinn it. But anyways, uh, but what did I think about it? I thought I watched them back to back today. They're both fine. I think uh -huh. I liked I think I like the rescuers a little better just because there's stupid plot shit in Rescuers Down Under that I just don't like. That's it. There's more action in Rescuers Down Under. The other neat thing about Caps is that not only was it like an ink and paint technology, but it was also it also computerized camera movements so you mm -hmm. could go you got this amazing depth of field with caps that you could not get before but it's all just like it's all rough draft for uh all of the movies that came after it and it's fine but Corey. so now my question to you is 
when did you first encounter rescuers down under and what kind of impression did it leave on you to result in us talking about it today a thousand years later i would have first encountered this as a kid i cannot honestly say because it always existed as i was growing up i did not see it in theaters uh would have seen it probably on vhs or if they broadcast it on tv which i doubt they probably did it on magical world or disney in a truncated form or something slapped it on disney channel or something well it was the the age of vhs and also like the disney yeah. squishy boxes um, oh yes Yes. Oh, my fingers just started tingling because just you can feel that shells. squishy box. Oh, squishy box. They're trying to close the squishy box and the way the little yeah. tabs squish in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Squishy. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, but it's like the, those are the days. I'm a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid who likes to run around in the woods, and I know what an echidna is, and I'm like, yeah, nature stuff, conservation versus poaching. But when you first watched it, what was it like? When I first watched it, I had already been uh, exposed to a Canadian cartoon called The Little Flying Bears, which was about environmental this little bears. I probably would have also oh. watched Captain hmm. Planet by what now. about The Green Forest? You ever see The Green Forest? It's not ringing a bell, but Fern Gully for sure. The Green Forest is like an adaptation of an anime that was like apparently only shown in Canada. Would have had to been like the mid-90s for me to see it. Oh, yeah, this was I think this was probably mid 80s for sure. Uh, apparently at the time, Disney was super proud of the fact that this was their first movie with an environmental message since Bambi. Um, <laughs> and but it's <laughs> that kind of environmental message that's not like on a practical <laughs> level that like can apply to anything that anybody can do. It's just like, don't be an evil poacher who kills animals with a giant monster truck. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But still, I guess that's bad. We should not do that. So we all learned that. I didn't become a poacher, and neither did the two of you. So I guess the movie worked. Yeah, but I only saw it. I only saw it yesterday. So oh, uh, I was in danger. You, until then. All that poaching you've been doing up until this point, you must be like an asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. So how was returning to it, Corey? It was nice. It was really nice to see the skill of the animators, especially with certain characters like uh, Marahute, the eagle, and Joanna, the lizard, the comedy uh, lizard. Uh, I mean, Frank's the comedy lizard. Joanna's still a comedy lizard. Yeah. Um, Or monitor, I guess. Um, Actually, I looked this up because I was like, it's so funny to call a lizard Joanna that I was like, is this like a Bob Dylan reference? Is this an ex-wife? What's happening? That's just the name of the lizard. It's spelled with a G. It's G-O-A-N-N-A. And it is apparently, it's like the same difference as like how there are possums and opossums. And the thing is with possums and opossums is that like it was a misunderstanding of a word for a different animal. So they dropped the, like the opossum and the possum are apparently different things. Anyway, they mistakenly called this lizard the iguana because it kind of looked like an iguana. And then they dropped that I and now it's just guana or joanna as they call it in the thing perfect anyway wow i read wikipedia uh there you go but i just kept singing joanna from sweeney todd periodically Mm -hmm. but it's good stuff like uh cliff climbing free climbing Mm -hmm. is also a thing that i've always really loved like um there's the the mission possible tom cruise cliff face hanging or um What's the buddy mountain climbing one that they make fun oh, of? Cliffhanger? In, yeah, in Ace Ventura. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Why does he climb the mountain? Because it's there. Make love to the mountain. Hmm. 
Were you a Rescuers fan before you saw Rescuers Down Under? No. I would have seen this first. I would have also been too young to recognize that the albatrosses were different people. Sure. Mm. But you dug it, and you still dig it. I dug it. I, I love myself little anthropomorphized mice. There you go. This is a clearinghouse for them. Yeah, exactly. And it, 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 that is always a win in my book. Give me, yeah. give me your red walls and your mouse guards. Like. Does this mean we're going to have to watch those Michael J. Fox mouse movies? What are those? Oh, the Stuart Littles. There we go. Your Stuart's little. There were anthropomorphic mice in Jack and the Beanstalk. I just want to point that out. So that's why we yeah, all- Yeah, Corey loved them, if you recall. It's true. <laughs> Sorry, Anna. This is really uh, triggering for me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. We started a Bug's Life view. Uh, there's little buggies stomping around, beetles, various things, crawling on grass uh, on top of some dirt. There's some distant rock blurs. And then the camera just like zoom, engages like warp speed and just takes off with some nice drums. There's some mm-hmm. flute music. Uh, and then... It just rapidly approaches these rocks, and there's this little farmhouse there with a pickup truck and a little peaked roof. And we go in through the window into a bedroom that's just uh, a, a kid's room. There's like so many uh, model airplanes hanging from the ceiling, and a map of Australia, and like a little nature field guide, and a compass, and stuff, and also a child sleeping in a hammock in a nest of clothing like like I used to. Dream. <laughs> you slept in a hammock? No. <laughs> Wait. Did you just lie to us? I dreamed of sleeping in a hammock. Okay, here's one of the reasons why I don't engage with this film like you do, Corey, is that even as a child, none of that stuff was appealing to me. You didn't want your own little pair of like hiking boots and shorts and a backpack? I wanted to stay inside and play play. ColecoVision um, and like play with my play with my my GoBots or something. Did you ever build forts? No, I never built forts. I built like maybe I built some snow forts at, at school, like with other people. But that's look, you know who I am now, right? I don't even know anymore. I became this Anna from the child that I used to be. And what about this Anna makes you think that the child that I used to be was real into like running around outside scraping their knee? I wouldn't even like walking on grass barefoot because I thought I was going to get stabbed by something. I would deliberately walk barefoot on like that crushed up gravel they use for driveways just to toughen up my feet a little bit just so that I could go walking in the woods without prickles. Like getting up in there. That's, That's just not me. I'm somewhere between the two of you, I think. That seems fair. I I acknowledge and accept that the outside exists, and (laughs) I do enjoy being in it from time to time. But as far as like being a hiking, jumping, brook exploring kid, I mean, I again, my hometown was a a nicer version of uh, the we're all going to the world's fair town. So there were like tiny wooded areas that you could kind of bumble around in and places where you could ride your bike and stuff like that. But, you know, and I enjoyed some of that to an extent. And then given my druthers, I wanted to watch cartoons. My mom believes the outside should be abandoned entirely. She was a big influence for that. But I don't think even without her, I would be the kind of kid who's just like, I'm going to go roll around and do things and build forts and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm not 
I'm not mad at the outdoors. I also need it to be like 72 degrees with low humidity. Like I need the outdoors to be as much like the indoors as possible. Hence living in California. (laughs) Had I been a child that wanted to go galloping through the woods in my bare feet and looking for bugs, I, there was, there were no woods for me to do that in where I was living. We were living in university housing. There was like, there was a large grassy field with a hill. I had like a suburban childhood, but if the suburbs were in the middle of like, if the suburbs stretched on forever. Oh, I had periods of time living in the suburbs, but the suburbs mm-hmm. had like a sharp edge where it was just like fields or forest yeah. or creeks and things like no, that. No, I had none of that. But I think the important distinction I will make is I, I believe in the outdoors, you know, right to exist and and things of that nature. But if there were movies, and this is still true to an extent, my friend Dave refers to these as outdoor movies, uh, which <laughs> is why he does not ever watch any sword or sorcerer or beastmaster type movies because uh, those are yeah. just movies with people running around in woods. Exactly. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. I go back and forth. I don't mind a little outdoor movies, but for the most part, like I would watch shit like Raiders and stuff. Like I like, yeah. I like action adventure movies, but if we're talking about like man against nature movies, like mosquito coast or whatever the fuck, I don't, that's not. No, we're, we're talking more about but, like, uh, okay. Competency porn, but for like, <laughs> boy scouts like you're just really good at survival stuff you can make so many knots and you can whittle so you have a little knife and a compass i was in the boy scout or the i didn't make it to the boy scouts i was in the cub scouts and it was just like Mm -hmm. none none of this is taking yeah i was in my parents put me in um well in canada it's beavers and then cubs yeah um so i was in beavers and then i was in cubs for a bit and eventually I think they let me stop because I obviously was like, just, it wasn't for me. I think part of it was so I was socialized and that wasn't really going very well either. Because <laughs> a lot of the people in Cubs were also the people bullying me at school. Yeah, I did. I did Sparks and like a year of brownies, but mm. my cousin got to continue in with like Beavers and Cubs and I didn't. So I missed out on all of like the camping. From what I recall of my experience in Beavers and Cubs, I remember like doing one kind of camp out activity and maybe it was they did them and I just my parents didn't think I should go or something. But we they did like the only time I remember is we did like a weekend winter camping thing where oh, God. There were, oh no, we didn't can't tent out. There was a building that we slept in. We, we did some some like I think we did ice fishing or something. I don't know anyway, but it was never none of it was really my jam. It was more of like I get taken here once a week and I guess I just put up with it until I don't have to anymore. Which is the story about every after school activity I was ever put in. I just like being comfortable and the outdoors doesn't offer mm-hmm. a ton of that. It does not. It's not design it's not comfort rated. Nope. But the opening of this movie is very pretty and you can see all of the stuff again, sort of that rough draft uh for Lion King, like basically mm-hmm. The opening mm-hmm. shot and you also get to see like the full you know caps firing on all systems as it pushes through those you know two giant rocks and it's just mm-hmm. like oh this is that somebody's got a new toy and they are using it it opens with a bang as opposed to the rescuers with opens with a little girl uh throwing a bottle over the side of a boat and then five minutes of opening credits, which are just sort of like oil painting style drawings of the bayou and then New York City, while someone who sounds like Anne, uh, what's her name? Kurt Cobain. It's like Kurt Cobain. This is, it's just a sad, slow song about being alone. Like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Jack and the Beanstalk. For example. 
Yeah, so uh, so this at least opens with like when I was watching the rescuers, I was like, "Rescuers Down Under" is going to open with a kid, with somebody running around, running, jumping, never standing still, doing things, and that's what this kid does. This kid runs around and jumps around, and he's you know his his brekkie is ready, and he jumps out, and there's just this. The opening of this movie is just movement, 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 which stands in stark contrast to the opening of the rescuers. Mm-hmm. There. There's like a didgeridoo signal. The kid throws on his. Uh, shirt, the brekkie scene. He's brought his own lunch so that he can go through the forest jungle area and wake up all of his animal friends, like an echidna and some kookaburras, and basically every Australia specific animal type is represented. <laughs> Except the platypus, because they're saving it for later. There's, There's an, echidna. an echidna. And I was like, is that a platypus? I'm like, no, nah, that's not a platypus. Well, you know, monotremes. Anyways, uh, <laughs> The kid arrives at the signal, which apparently was a kangaroo blowing on a log. They don't show us how it worked. Yeah. He blows into the log. The log's hollow makes a noise. God forbid there's an actual didgeridoo in your movie about Australia. It sure as shit sounds like a didgeridoo. But I, I don't know if a lady kangaroo could blow a didgeridoo. Could a lady kangaroo blow a didgeridoo? I don't think a lady kangaroo could blow a didgeridoo. <laughs> So there's a very funny thing in the, to me in this opening because in The Rescuers, there's also this weird sort of like hierarchy, like some animals can talk, mm-hmm. some animals cannot talk, some animals cannot talk, but can understand human speech, and some animals can do neither. And it's just like, and we're just not sure. But it's very <laughs> funny because in this opening, you hear the blowing of the log, and then there's the stampede of animals and you hear all of the sounds of the animals and the kid is running along with them and nobody's talking to the child. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, maybe they're drawing a line in the sand and they're just saying that animals can understand each other and humans can understand each other, but there's not. And then they get to the kangaroo and then everybody's like chirping and tweeting and woofing and whatever. And I'm like, okay, so they're just going to communicate through nonverbal ways. And then the kangaroo's like, oh, good, you're here. We can get started. And all the animals are like, oh, yeah, good. The kid's here. This is great. It's like, oh, okay. So this child has a an amazing imagination. Yes. Having these fun imaginary adventures off in the woods. Which leads into the kangaroo being like, Maruhute the great owl is captured at the top of the cliff. Here, ride me, Cody. Ride me to adventure. <laughs> Hop on my back. I'm sentient. This scenario brings me to my first overall question in the Rescuers universe, which is, what is the job of the rescue aid society when are they called into action and when are they not called into action they have a lot of employees that don't seem to have much to do if there's a kid in trouble (laughs) if someone Uh has removed freedom from a child's (laughs) life and they've heard about it in we'll get to this but my only point with this is, is that this this scenario where a bunch of animals are like hey young child an animal's in trouble Oh, and you have to save them. And like, <laughs> You're the only one who can climb the cliffs. We all boy. trust you. You're competent and responsible and nature loves you. You can be the hero. We're going to put your life in abject danger. <laughs> climb this cliff that is goes all the way up and beyond fucking heaven itself. <laughs> you want a kangaroo to climb that cliff? No, but what I'm saying is what I was expecting was we're all going to work together on this one to get. And it's just like, good luck, Cody. 
<laughs> have fun. Oh yeah, it's hecking dangerous. Right? It's way too dangerous for a small child to be doing. Rescue Aid Society, we will just point out, is yeah. doing nothing. Nothing. They have not they have not been called. They have not been signaled. It's a local matter. By the time they get there, that eagle's gonna be dead. And whatever you do with dead eagles is happening to it. We'll get to this, but it's just, but again, it's a weird the way everything shakes out in the original movie at least makes sense why the Rescue Aid Society is called in. But we're not even there yet. This kid is climbing the biggest cliff in the world. And somehow he reaches the top without dying, flips open his, his trusty, dusty Swiss army knife to free the great eagle, Marahute. It's a, a giant eagle, a very big, big, big eagle, like most sized. Like, are we to take this to be like an actual like big eagle like animal? Or is this like a this is the god of this rock kind of situation, like a like a studio Ghibli type thing? Yes. It's just a big eagle, but everybody, spoilers. It's it's a big and, eagle. Like, Cody approaches her like a wild animal. He's just like, yeah. shush, shush, be calm. And then there's like screeching and struggling and stuff like that. It's like, ah, humans, ah, I don't speak English. And it was supposed to. In my research, it they actually gave it lines and it was going to talk like everybody else. And one lowly animator was like, hey, um, this sucks. This is very bad with this eagle talking a lot. What if we did it literally any other way? And thank God they did. I don't mind. It works so well that, and this scene is lovely. It works so well that I don't mind that there is absolutely no like cohesion over what animals have the power of speech and what don't. It's definitely not size based. Now I'm imagining like a point and click adventure. Just like, Help me, Cody. These restraints <laughs> are preventing me from flying away. Use your knife on the ropes. I'm imagining like the, the Australian equivalent of Jane, Dame Judy Dench. Yes, exactly. Doing her voice. So Judy Dench from Cats is restrained by these no, ropes. And she's, no, she's God, struggling. No. She's struggling. And Cody's getting them with. I do not believe this knife can cut these ropes. That's definitely the rubber knife that you get when you achieve the rank of Pussy Willow. <laughs> <laughs> the be I'm sorry. I have to interrupt. In, in the beaver scouts. Yeah. There is, there is a rank of Pussy Willow? No, I make, I'm making a reference to the classic Simpsons episode, Boy Scouts in the Hood. My mistake. Don't do what Donnie Don't does. Seems like everywhere I go, people are enjoying knives. Go on, Corey. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of knives, Cody successfully cuts enough of the ropes for the eagle to break free. And during the big celebration, Cody gets knocked off the cliff and plummets to his death. The end. <laughs> It's a short film. I'm not even sure why it's called The Rescuers, to be honest with you. you know, he, he, he dies. It's just like the entire time they're not there and the kid dies. I think this might have been part of why it was not box office magic. Here's what actually happens. The kid frees the eagle. The eagle gets the eagle gets a little squirrely uh, because uh, the kid pulls out a knife and the eagle's like, knife! But they but it gets loose and they have a, they have a really nice chat where they do understand each other. There's no Mr. Eagle. Uh, there and the kid's like, yeah, I lost, I lost my dad too, and the the golden eagle uh, is like, and I got these eggs, and I got to do something about this, and uh, <laughs> and the, and the kid is the kid's like looking at the eggs and finds a big golden eagle feather and like gives it back to the eagle, and the eagle's like, no, 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 and then the eagle sort of tickles the kid with it a little, and it's like, wait, are they dating now? What's happening? They seem. <laughs> 
friendly. They're just being the, friendly. The, the eagle's like, no, you can have this. You, you you did me a solid. Here, you can have my beautiful feather that you love so much and like rubbing on your face in a sensual way. And you can do whatever you want with it in the privacy of your own home. It's like garbage to me. You can just have it. Like, it's like if you gave me a single hair off of your head. I don't care. Okay, come on. Cody plummets off the cliff. The eagle swoops down and catches him before he splats. This is beautiful, by the way. And then they fly yes. up, gaining altitude by, like, grabbing onto rocks and ledges, and they go up into the clouds, and it's the I will show you the world is happening in the background, and this like cloud skimming and then big dives and then they go on an adventure through a swamp and they just can't wait to be king ski on the water <laughs> and they have a grand old time before the eagle uh, takes him back to her nest yes to, to, to show him her eggs her very large eggs i'm sorry if i'm gonna laugh a lot when egg gets said because i just think egg is a funny word egg, egg. it's a funny word yeah it's a funny thing Eggs are funny. That's a good looking egg. Sphere. Egg. <laughs> it gets me every time. Oh, maybe I should increase my rating of sphere to one and a half stars for that alone. Apparently, this eagle was such a giant pain in the ass to animate that that's why it's only in the first and last seven minutes of the movie. I we're going to say it was real diva on the set. No, they're <laughs> They did have their star animator yes. do the character work. Um, and you can tell because it's fucking gorgeous. Oh, yeah. The eagle looks better than probably anything else in the film. The first 10 minutes of the rescuers down under eats the first 10 minutes of the rescuers for lunch as far as just like engaging things that a kid would give a shit about. Then the kid is just zippity doodah on his way through the forest and sees like a little mouse who seems to be in a jam. Cody's like, hey, let me get you out of there. And then we see the reverse shot and the mouse is very obviously tied to a bunch of things that are trap-like in nature, one might even say, a trap. And I think he's been told by one of the animals that the poacher is about. Mm-hmm. And there's a warning sign nailed to a tree where everyone would see it in the jungle. And the mouse is like, hey, no, get it, the trap. Because hey. this mouse can speak English. Yeah. Here's the thing that we would learn about Cody at this point. We know he's brave and he loves animals. But at this point, we learn he's also really, really dumb. Like, dumb as a sack of hammers. I mean, I think you're being a little... No, he's unkind. super dumb. <laughs> I'm, I'm intentionally being unkind because this kid is dumb. There's a lot of instances where if you just A, pay attention or B, think about what he was saying, whether it was a good idea, this movie would not have a plot anymore. You know, I think it works out because he both saves the life of a sentient talking mouse yes. and whatever apex predator would have fallen into the trap regardless. Would have been like a T-Rex or some other thing coming along. It's a real Mr. Magoo kind of saving somebody. Mm -hmm. He's not that bad, but it's. I spent a lot of this movie shouting at him for things he did. You were really mad at this kid. I wasn't this mad at this kid. I just found him to be a little bland, which he certainly is. But like, oh, yeah, he's he's spunky. He's like, he doesn't. The thing is, and this this actually this this uh, this works fine with the rescuers as well. Both Penny and Cody are kind of bland nothing burger characters. Cody at least is a little more proactive and like does things and has adventures. Whereas Penny is just like starts off kidnapped and stays kidnapped until she's not kidnapped. But no, I mean, and also it's a child. That's no excuse. It's been raised by a single mom. There's no excuse for not listening to mice when they tell you things. 
It's valid. <laughs> like, you, know, you know what? I think it is. It's condescension. He's like, that mouse doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm Cody. I'm smarter than everybody. Watch me fall into this pit. So he falls into this pit. And the pit trap signal goes off because when you build a pit trap, you, you wire up a little light indicator that goes all the way to your secret base and or truck that has a radar on it. And you just fire that beast up and head on out there to go capture whatever wild prey has fallen into your this pit. This alarm looks like fucking like World War II Russian circles. And the truck itself... Oof. The first phrase that popped into my mind was Lorax fucker. Like, it's just like, <laughs> right? it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's got like a murder plow in the front. I mean, it's not, not Mad Maxi. Oh no, you, this thing, you expect to see this thing crawling with war boys, uh, <laughs> shiny and chrome. Uh, but it is just, it's one of the things in the movie that you can definitely absolutely see like, oh yeah, this is where they brought in the liquid cooled computers uh mm, to make the yeah. to make this thing go and this is where we meet leech this is where we meet our poacher i'm going to say this for the record i kind of liked his animation it's incongruous with the rest of the movie he definitely does not look like a disney character what he looks like is a john crick felucci character he's got like oh, this oh yeah he's got he looks like powdered toast man um right. or or maybe a little bluthy yeah, he does. He, yep. It's it's that sort of he's got like this square jaw, but it's a very like it's almost like when R. Crumb would draw people who represented the establishment. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's a very he's got a very square head. He's got like a very protruding mandible and he's always in shadow and he always has a five o'clock shadow. But yeah, it's he's very evil. Yes. Yeah. Whereas Medusa in uh, Rescuers is sort of this redheaded, haired, and true with with droopy bazooms and a big tuchus, and just sort of like this very like we've seen Disney evil doers, villains, people call them uh, like that, like Medusa before. But this guy genuinely looks like he could fucking murder you. That's fair. And I didn't mind it. It just didn't fit with the rest of the movie, but I didn't mind it. You put your finger on it, why I didn't like it when you made the com comparison to Crick Falusi, because I just, I intensely dislike his anime, his character designs and animation style. Oh, totally. And mm. I'm not, I'm, it, Bluth is okay. I grew up playing Dragon's Lair. I fucking love Dragon's Lair too. Goat, but I'm not that big a fan of his character design. There's just, it, all of his characters look like they're smirking and I don't like it. Hmm. Well, that's a that's a that's a rescuers problem too, and it's funny you mention that because Bluth is one of the animation directors on Rescuers. Um, yeah. This was this was a thing that drove me crazy on undergrads too, and I think this is just an animation thing that you have to like raise your hand and go, please don't do that. It's resting smiling face. The rescuers is lousy with it. And this has that problem to an extent as well, which is when your character's not doing anything, your character's smiling. This is a problem with Bianca's design in both rescuers and rescuers down under. It's just sort of like there is a benign hello kitty nothingness to the face when it's not doing it, you know. But anyway, but she gets away with it because she's cute. Yes. Yet again, there's a mouse in a movie that I think is cute. Oh, Miss Bianca is fucking dreamy. Let's not kid ourselves. I was trying to downplay. She doesn't enter the picture yet. We're dealing with McLeach. Yes. Who is kind of like a discount mirror universe crocodile dundee. He's got the hat. He's got the 
bell bottoms. He's got so many Bowie knives. He sounds like George C. Scott. Yeah. So there's some other cultures coming in and stealing their animal stuff going on. Because mm-hmm. he's definitely American in this. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, who's more American than George C. Scott? He's fucking incredible. I got to tell you, I think he's he's truly tremendous in this. And he loves being evil. Yeah, he relishes it. He plows straight through the forest, knocking down every witch tree, and rolls on up to the pit trap. Somehow he never made a path there before, but yeah, he gets out of the vehicle, cocks his rifle. We're in the pit from Cody's perspective. He's like, oh, no, noises, or maybe I'll be rescued. And then a giant lizard enters frame over the edge of the pit and just does a, like a... Like a big intimidation move. And that's that's Joanna, the star of the film. <laughs> it's if I ever have a giant lizard. I'm almost disappointed that that's actually the like they just took that from the name of the lizard itself, because there's something so great about naming your giant evil lizard Joanna. I don't I, mean, I can't put my finger on why it's just like it's such a normal name. It'd be like if they named it Beth or something like it's just like, yeah, no offense to Joanna's or Beth's I, either. They're, everyone's great. But it's just like it's like when you give your dog a name like Steve, like it's just like <laughs> oh, <that's> funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. McLeach pulls his rifle out, pops it over the edge of the pit and is like, hey, you there, boy, you're not a wild animal or a tiger or whatever I expected to be in this pit after eating this mouse and he kind of has to has to process for a little while and then he's just like oh no i'm doing something extremely illegal here and this child might rat me out so i better kick the lizard and be like joanna you digging pits around here you put an army surplus in them are you tying mice to sticks so that people will follow them damn you joanna (laughs) bad lizard you can't do anything right Ugh. It's kind of a theme during the movie. Joanna's absolutely smarter than McLeach, though. And so is Cody, who's just like, you're a bad man and a poacher, and I'm going to tell the rangers. Yeah, the that's rangers the smart move at here. this point, when the guy's pointing a gun at you. The moment I'm free and still alive and all my <laughs> arms and legs work, I'm just going to phone the police on you, and then they'll come stop you, bad man. During this kind of scintillating exchange of wits, uh, the guy uh, realizes that the boy has a golden feather and must know the whereabouts of the great big eagle. And he's like, I got one of these, too. And he pulls out his, his shitty feather uh, that's also golden. He's like, because I used it to kill that other giant eagle. <sighs> Neither of them is really paying attention to the other and what they're putting out there. No. How would you like to come poaching with me, kid who just threatened to turn me in for being a poacher? What do you think? Uh, I will say this. This guy sucks and he's evil, but he's got to be one hell of a hunter if he was able to kill a lizard, the size, not a lizard, an eagle the size of a city block and detain another eagle the size of a city block. Like, that's a lot. That's just him and Joanna. Like, the process right. of tying down that, li- the when they find eagle at the beginning of the picture, that's a lot of work. I realized something and I have a question for y'all. How did Mara Hute get tied down? Because Leech is just that good. Drived vertically up that cliff uh-huh. and then popped down on top and caught uh-huh. Mara Hute with a uh-huh. harpoon. Okay. And then, wh- so why does Leech not know where Mara Hute is already? Because that's not where the nest is. Like, that was just like by happenstance, McLeach was like, I'm, I'm up on top of this cliff. So he just left Mara Hute there to 
die? Well, maybe he he was like, oh, I'm one bungee cord too short, have to go all the way home, and then I'll come back and get her later. She'll be here for a while. This'll keep. There's a connection that does not get forged to explain it. McLeach had a giant rifle full of drugs, and he shot the big bird, and the bird landed on top of the cliff. And so he made Joanna climb up and stake the bird down. Uh Uh-huh, okay. So that he could come back later. Okay. And now the bird's gone, and he doesn't know where the bird is. So he's got, and he has since gone back in the last ten minutes or so and found that the bird was gone. He was still in his truck. He was on his way back, and then he was like, oh no, pit trap, this can't wait. I believe that Marahute, correct me if I'm wrong, was staked up above her nest. No. No? Away no. from her nest. Quite, quite a ways Okay, away. I'm just conflating then. Yeah, not, not every mountaintop is the same, same plateau. In some ways, they really are, Corey, if you really think about it. Damn. That's right. Anyways, this kid gets kidnapped. He gets kidnapped real good. <laughs> this kid, this kid is just like the second I have the opportunity, I'm yeah. telling the police everything I know. And uh, Leech takes the kid's backpack and throws it into out fucking alligator gulch or whatever the fuck, and it's just like you're dead now. This is another division on talking animals because crocodiles, dumb as bricks, evil, can't mm-hmm. talk. Alligators, intelligent, can understand spoken directions. Yes, and Wait. get trapped in elevators. What? What? They can be easily misled. It's one of the things from the original movie. Correct. Oh, right. There's an alligator in that movie. Two. Uh, Nero and Brutus. Clearly, I have made a fatal error in not refreshing my rescuers. So the mouse this kid rescued sees that this kid has been uh, kidnapped and is like, time to go to work. We then have a 45-minute sequence. (laughs) Yeah. This is why I mean about pacing. This is, we now have a 45-minute sequence of how technology works and how pre-internet and pre-cell phones. And apparently pre-regular phones somehow. Well, they're mice. They, so, so, the mouse, so the mouse basically signals like, hey, a kid's being kidnapped. We got to call the Rescue Aid Society. And that signal gets bounced to like Hawaii. And then that signal and then a bunch of mice who were who like hiding out in NASA who wear little Hawaiian shirts, which is adorable as shit. Mm. They bounce the signal and blah, blah, blah. It gets pinged. And it's actually a very cool sequence where we have like kind of that Raiders of the Lost Ark era. Uh huh. Yeah. It's a very fun Indiana Jones sequence (laughs) where we go to like famous military installations that the USA has. Yep. Very proud of them. Yes, Anna, it looks like you've got a question. I have a question. This kidnapped boy is in Australia. Yes. Yeah. The rescuers. The titular yes. rescuers are in New York. Correct. Now, yes. when we see the call come in to rescue R- RSU, is it RSU? RAS. RAS, thank you. RAS New York headquarters. We do see on the panel that there are there are other places that the call could have come from, like Japan, etc. They don't dispatch every single rescuer from New York. So surely there were closer ones. Let's talk about the Rescue Aid Society for a minute. So the Rescue Aid Society, and they don't they don't use this establishing shot for some reason. But uh, so the Rescue Aid Society is a miniature Mouse United Nations that exists under New York City's United Nations. Yes. And in the and the opening of the movie, you see all of the human dignitaries going to like work at the United Nations, and then 
there are mice wearing matching outfits who hop out of their briefcases. Ah. Uh, because if there's one thing that we can all agree on is that it is always awesome when people come from other countries and bring vermin with them in their suitcases <laughs> that can run around our cities and vice versa. What you want to do is introduce as many native animals to other countries as possible without any regulation. I'd have called them Chazwazers, for example. Uh, so, uh, and in the rescuers, what happens is a little girl is trapped in a bayou in Louisiana or somewhere like that. She's in swap country. She lets a bottle go. The bottle is actually addressed to and somehow magically makes it to New York City, where it is found by New York City mice and brought to. So the so the thing is, is that even though it's a new, not a, the kid's not in trouble in New York, the bottle ends up in New York. And that's what sure. says, okay, now we're ready to go. We got to send our two people on right. it. But th at least she's in the continental United States of America, not unlike New York. She is not in a country literally on the other side of the globe. In the second movie, it's already been established that these mice go and save children. So it doesn't really matter where in the world that is. Like, we do see that there's basically rangers and like army uh doctors in australia it just feels like they might have been concerned about the time frame of getting across the entire planet this is and so this is my question it seems like everyone's aware of the rescue aid society and it seems like there are members of the rescue aid society who are from all over the globe so what that says to me is that every country every country has their own sort of like rescue aid society reserves, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's not the case. It seems like there's some kind of, uh, there's a lot of red tape and, you know, you got to shoot this thing up. But of course, and this goes back to my thing at the beginning where it's like all of the animals are in trouble. So they call one kid and it's like, now you're putting this kid in abject danger, which is going to bring in the rescue aid society. I just don't understand what the jurisdiction is. I don't know. I don't know the chain of command, but for the purposes of rescuers down under, if a kid is in trouble in Australia, you have to get 92 mice to pass this along to the rescue aid society where they all go. There's one child in the world who's in trouble. Yes. And we should send our top mice. I'm just concerned that they could be more efficient. A bit. There's a better way to do that. Our best agents, the representatives from Hungary and the U and Britain. What? what U.S. Is U.S. US. So, so Bernard. So in the rescuers, Miss Bianca is a member of the Rescue Aid Society, and Bernard is the janitor. And then oh. there is a there is a sixty eight minute sequence where Bernard gets a piece of paper out of a bottle, and Miss Bianca is so enamored of his stick to itness that she's like. This will be the agent I will bring with me. And everyone else is like, but that's Bernard. He sucks. And she's like, nah, he's Bob Newhart. He's awesome. Yes. I mean, fair enough. Fair reviews. Like, you can't argue with results. In this case, they're at the big meeting. Well, they're not. The mice are missing. Yes. The representatives, their top agents, our go-to people, they're missing. Literally nobody else in this agency is on a mission. They're all in their seats. Just not Bianca and Bernard because, I don't know, they're not supposed to have lives outside the RSA. Well, that's the problem. They were having lives outside the RAS, and then this Code Red pick came up, and they weren't already stationed at the RAS headquarters, so they couldn't get to the meeting in time. Cut to a fancy French restaurant where fancy Americans <laughs> and people are eating fancy, fancy foods. And we see that in this restaurant, there is a 
shadow restaurant run by cockroaches. Like crickets. They're crickets. Fam. Fam. They're French. This is a New York City restaurant. Those are cockroaches. They're not cockroaches. No, they ha- don't have cockroach legs. They have the little. They have the little cricket legs. I am weak. Yes, by the letter of the law, you are correct. But I am sorry. I lived in New York City for ten years. There aren't. There aren't secret societies of crickets living underneath fucking New York City fucking just, restaurants. Dear listener, dear dear listener. I would just like to advise you that prior to us recording this podcast, Joshua A. Kagan had stated that there's nothing more boring than somebody who's lived in New York who defines themselves as somebody who's lived in New York and has now proceeded to pull the New York card. I'm a boring person, and I'm just here to tell you (laughs) that there are a lot of cockroaches. We know there's a lot of cockroaches in New York. Can you just believe maybe that there's a couple crickets as well? Whatever. Vermin. All bugs are the same bug. There there are vermin serving other vermin in the chandelier of this French restaurant. (laughs) And it's gross. It's fine. They they make pea soup in a tiny thimble. It's adorable. I don't like bugs. Jen loves tiny things, and she thought this was amazing. The animation on it is wonderful, and it by the and it, and there is a lot you could actually see sort of like the glimmer in this movie's eye of Ratatouille, which is really interesting. But like, yes, so it's 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 all great. And vermin are serving vermin; <laughs> they're having vermicelli. You must be very proud of yourself, and you really I'm a little bit proud of myself. <laughs> that was great. That was a great joke, Anna. Thanks. I do my best. Anyways, and there we there we are introduced or reintroduced, depending on when you saw this in your life, uh, to Bernard, who is Bob Newhart and plays him as Bob Newhart, uh, and Miss Bianca, who is Ava Gabor. And I'm going to go ahead and say, and if there are any Green Acres fans out there who disagree with me, I apologize. This is probably the only good thing that a Gabor sister ever had her name on. Green Acres is the place to be. Far living. Well, I, the here's what I'm going to say. That may also be controversial among Gaborians. Uh, I think Ava Gabor is definitely the, 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 the hotter Gabor sister. I think that bit in Star Trek where Zsa Zsa Gabor showed up on the main screen was the best. I don't remember this. Bit. In which iteration of Star Trek? The original series? The or the... Yeah. Okay, yeah. Are you conflating this with the time that she showed up on a TV set in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3? Her and Dick Cavett? Yeah. Welcome to prime time, B-word. Yeah. Listen, listen. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is the best Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and that seems tremendous, but it does have the B-word. First, the first three Nightmare on Elm Streets are all amazing in their own way. <laughs> granted, granted, but... Dream Warriors! I feel like Nightmare 3 is in a lot of ways the apex of the series in terms of it really getting everything right without quite having veered into self-parody as it almost immediately did. We'll talk about this movie someday because I do love this movie. Uh, there's a there's a nifty also fantasy element to it, which the other two movies yeah. do not have, uh, yeah. which I which I really like. It's good. It's a good movie. We're not talking about that movie today. I, and I patterned on it. Anyway, whatever. And here we're, you know, being exposed to things that I patterned on, where Bernard is <laughs> like, oh, I definitely don't secretly want to propose to you at this fancy dancy restaurant that we have <laughs> our one day off a year at for fancy dinner. And Miss Bianca is just like, oh, Bernard, I love you. I am so fancy. This is a fancy time. And Bernard drops his ring and goes scurrying off 
across the floor to get it. And then there's a bunch of comedy where it gets stuck on a large lady's foot and he takes it off. And she thinks that the guy that is at dinner with her is the guy that touched her foot. And mm-hmm. she's, she's at a French restaurant with bare feet, but she is a mouse. So with mouse feet. whatever. <laughs> but then one of the crickets runs up with a telegram. It's like message for you, Miss Bianca. And she's like, oh, go tell Bernard. And she's like, message for you, Bernard. And he's like, shut up. I have to get this ring. I have to do my proposal. And Miss Bianca's like, I already know what you're going to say. You accept the mission to Australia. But she doesn't say that yet. And so he's like, yeah, I definitely wanted to marry you and live together forever. Uh, for the for the remaining six months of our life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, here's a fun fact about this scene that you may not have noticed, but uh, Peter Jackson shot for shot recreated this in the in the Fellowship of the Ring in the scene in the tavern where Frodo drops the one ring. What? Yeah, shot for shot. It, it gets wow. stuck on a lady's toe. It gets it gets and stuck on a guy's toe. She disappears. Just her foot. It was weird. <laughs> it's just her foot. Because <laughs> that's how it works. This sequence where Bernard drops the ring and has to get it back. This is one of those sequences that really reminded me of the first movie and is in itself is a fun physical comedy sequence, but has for me kind of the same pacing issues that the first movie has, which is this is a thing that happens with Bernard a lot in the first movie. Let's say Bernard wants to walk across the room to pick up a paperclip. Bernard <laughs> says, I'm going to go pick up a paperclip. I'm going to do it right now. And then he like takes a step and then steps on his shoelace and falls over and then gets back up and dusts himself off and sort of looks over his shoulder as like almost a tripped over something and then takes another step and then like bumps into a wall and is like oh god i can't believe i didn't see that wall and there's like a fun there's like 30 seconds between each one of these bits and then finally and then like five more things happen and i think what what i wanted this to be was and i think what they were sort of going for although i don't know if the time if like the like the the chronology works out but like when indiana jones at the opening of temple of doom loses the uh antidote absolutely oh, yeah, yeah, yeah and it's like scrambling around and all of this yep. stuff is happening and i think that's what they wanted to do but what happens is it's just like dun 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 <sighs> dun 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 yeah Mm-hmm. It's, it's so it's very it's very pausey and i was it's like mad cap. no and that's mad cap. and i think that's what you want you want a madcap and but yep. anyway so okay. but then, again that's that seems to be sort of endemic in the rescuers universe mm-hmm. so they are confused about who's proposing what to whom and they dash back mm-hmm. to the rescue aid society where bianca takes the stage is like we're happy to announce that we're getting to Australia. <laughs> your, your Hungarian accent. That's Corey. just my lady voice. That's that's just the voice I use for women. There's so many things that are amusing about that. I also enjoy your horrible child voice. Which one? The one that's like Bart Simpson, or the one that? The one that's like a small child that is the worst child in the world. I'll say this. This is another thing about uh, The Rescuers, number one. Uh, It cured me of needing to have age-appropriate actors do children voices because Penny is just such a dumb child voice. Wispy. Sucks so bad. I'm surprised that the peanut stuff didn't do that already. I find that charming. And it's also like a half hour long. So they they take the gig. And they go up to the roof. And there is Albatross Airways 
their old trusty companion albatross friend is gone and the company's under new management so they go to an army tent hangar thing where there's john candy listening to rock music and dancing around and jeffrey katzenberg presumably said look we've got the jonathan candy make you need to take advantage of this once in a lifetime opportunity and use him as much as possible and make his scenes as long as humanly possible i want like five to ten minutes in this hangar minimum uh a piece of information i was very unsurprised about was uh in one of the articles i read about rescuers down under they were like you might be surprised to know that john candy improvised a fair amount of his dialogue i was like oh, no shitting sh- me no, no shit jonathan candy professional actor a treasure uh he's and i think he's totally fine in this movie oh, he's it's fine. it's it's he's, he's fine it's not again we, we keep talking about dry runs and this is very obviously a dry run for robin williams and aladdin you know like this is like let a comedian do his and i don't know if disney movies had like name brand commit let's see it's beauty and the beast no there's no there's no like buddy hackett cameo in beauty and the beast like, they, <laughs> they bring him in for a little mermaid but like yeah. but up until this point Disney doesn't really concern itself with celebrity voices. I could be nope. wrong about this, but this is the first time. And they were very excited. They like they got Bob Newhart and they got Eva Gabor in front. And that was like, that's the highest level of celebrity voice that a Disney movie probably had up until that point. Well, I mean, Angela Lansbury was in Beauty and the Beast. But that's after this. This is after. Although oh, she granted. is in Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, but she's an actor. Yeah. And then that's, that's a, oh, right. There's a connection there to it. Boy, I never, I never connected those dots because I'm a dummy. It all culminates in Jason Alexander and Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's where it was perfected. Anyways, uh, it's it's snowing out, and I just wanted to point out it's it was also a terrible blizzard at the end of the original The Rescuers, uh, which leads me to ask, how much time has passed between these two movies? But we don't have to get it. it definitely like twenty years have not passed because no. uh, they they I all mean, be dead. Knows. Listen, Josh, they're timeless. They are timeless. Anyways. So they get Wilbur, who is Orville's brother, or is it the other way around? No, this is Wilbur, right? Yes. Is this Orville? Yes. And after 45 minutes of John Candy being like, you want a drink? I have all kinds of drinks, and I put umbrellas in them. And it's just like, what is happening? Mango, what an exotic flavor. You can smell money burning as this is happening. The first thing he offers them is a cooler, and I'm like, should those mice be drinking? I don't know. I don't know. See, why not? It's a long flight. They'll be sober by the time they get there. Anyways, he thinks that they should fly when it's not a blizzard, and they're like, a child is in danger, and he's like, oh my god, I love children, let's go right now, and then they queue up Pipeline, I guess, and jump off a building together. Into the finest CGI cityscape that the year 1986 had to offer. It definitely does not look like shiny uh, shoeboxes that somebody <laughs> spray-painted matte black. <laughs> no, um, nothing of the sort. They, they put the snow in front so you could still tell that it's a blizzard. There is, I will say, there is some good computer animation in this movie and some bad computer animation in this movie, and the cityscape is not great. They hadn't perfected the Matrix yet. Come on. We didn't have those animated Listerine bottles yet. The plane dives down into what appears to be the middle of just like 42nd Street. It causes a 92 car accident. <laughs> Yeah. They're utterly unfazed. They, no rescue aid society brought in to help these motherfuckers, certainly. There were no children in those cars, so fuck them. And they're just having a casual conversation the entire time. Yeah. It's just like, oh, are we flying the whole way by bird? And he's like, no, we got a big, we got to meet up with a bigger 
airplane later, and then they actually no, do. No, a bigger bird. Yeah. But it's like, haha, but I know albatrosses are like the biggest. What could be bigger? I don't know, like a giant eagle. Or a plane. Or an airplane, the iron bird, if you will. If you will. <laughs> so now they're, and again, it begs the question then, like, did they just need, <laughs> were they just using Wilbur as a Uber to get to JFK? Like, if all they were going to do was get on a plane, I don't know if they needed. No, they needed him to fly them around Australia once they got there, too. It's just there was an unfortunate happenstance that prevented that. Yes. So now they're on a big plane. In the middle of this, Cody's whining and complaining, and McLeach is like, ah, I hate children and animals. Kill them all. Let me throw some knives at you <laughs> for fun. Oh, yeah, because he's trying to, like, where's that nest? Is it over here? And suicide gulch plonk and throws yeah. a giant knife at his head. Uh, is it over here? And murder junction plonk. It was a little later. It is a little later. Because it's after we find out what the names of places are, and then it's like, oh, he wasn't making that up to freak Bernard head. It's actually what they're called. Yeah. Wilbur is asleep on the landing gear of a jumbo jet, and they fall as it opens into the Sydney Opera Houses. So you know we're in Australia. This is the point at which Jen said, look, look, they're in Sydney, pointedly to me because of me not knowing that that time because I didn't make the connection. And then they're like, we just have to fly to Mogwamp Flats. Speaking of Naked Lunch, mm. which we were doing off my, that, yeah, I suppose I could have just looked this up on Google Maps. Maybe there is a place called Mugwump Flaps. Probably no, not. there isn't. Then that's just a Naked Lunch reference, which is fucking crazy. Also, Wilbur says throw out of the shrimp on the Barbie before jumping out of the airplane. Boy, there's a, and you can actually <laughs> see that joke sell by date float by <laughs> saying true. that. And it's like 1987. Yeah. So now they have to land and there's a new, now we meet Jake, who is like a kangaroo rat or a hopping yeah. mouse or kangaroo mouse. Some sort of hopping uh. mouse might be a um, jerboa. Anyways, he's playing checkers with a fly, which is where <laughs> I got uh, my Chippendale rescues rangers and the rescuers confused for so many years. Cause I'm like, there's a, there's a fly, there's a sentient fly sidekick. And they're called the rescuers or rescue rangers, and they're like rodents or something. Did anybody watch that that uh, rescue rangers picture? Sure did. Do the rescuers show up in it? No, but Ugly Sonic's there. Ugly Sonic's there a lot. My favorite Disney character. Listen, it's it's pretty okay. A lot of people really liked it. If they ever were intending to release it to theaters, they changed their mind at some point, and were like, you know what? Let's just make the animation on Chip real, really ass looking. Compared to literally everything else in this film. It's got some fun meta jokes. It's, 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 if you want to turn your mind off for an hour and a half and be moderately entertained, it's perfectly okay. I will watch Halloween 3 season of The Witch. Great. Um, <laughs> fantastic. I would rather watch Halloween 3 again than rewatch Chippendale. I'm not going to lie. I was just curious if the rescuers popped up in there. It always felt weird to me that the rescue, and maybe, and now I feel like the answer to the question is because this movie made $6 at the box yes. office, but it always seemed weird to me that in the world of like rescue rangers and DuckTales and goof troop and all of those other things that they had rescue mice in mm. the pipeline and mm. didn't go mm. like let's do a rescue or something could be a rights thing in my world it's a ghostbusters versus the real ghostbusters situation right right when you're five you can't tell the difference oh when i was 10 i was like i didn't know the difference and i was like well maybe this is the ghostbusters i'm after it doesn't appear to be but maybe there's a reason maybe if i watch it long enough i'll find out 
Has anyone ever tried to watch that original 1970s live action show? Does nobody know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know what you're talking about, but literally nobody has ever tried to watch it. Never. I know someone who probably has, frankly. Oh. I haven't seen it. Oh, you're not talking about me. No, Uh, no. I'm talking about uh, Anna and I's mutual acquaintance, Jeff, who is a huge Ghostbusters fan. Oh, you know what? You're not wrong. That of any of any human being I know, he is definitely the most likely. Hopping mouse Jake playing checkers with sentient fly. The fly wipes his butt with Jake checkers wise, just absolutely <laughs> wrecks him. And yep. then it's time for this bird to land. And there is a whole sequence where it's like the runway is not long enough for you to land. And in my head, I'm just like, birds just birds, yeah, just, birds land. just land. But really large airplanes don't. Ha ha. But, but they're not landing the airplane. But it's a big bird. They, they've already made this joke where airplanes and birds are the same thing. Um, yeah, it's not a good joke. But it's a good sequence because they're like, it's a me- it's a metal roof. So they have to like extend one end of the roof and it's hijinks and it's it's fine. It's, it's properly paced hijinks. I will give it that. And Wilbur ends up wearing a bra for a brief moment before doing like the elastic band trick to Jake where he goes fwing off. Uh, and then Jake pushes up like, a disembarkment staircase and complaining bitterly about yanks yeah yeah oh yanks do whatever they want always doing their flybys and their tower buzzing and there's like flowers in the air and he's like i'll help you with your luggage and he grabs her single bag while bernard is stuck with the rest comedically and so wilbur's like here, I'll grab your two tiny mouse bags, but oh no, his back gets put out from lifting the two tiny luggages. It's very funny, I assure you. What's not funny is the results of this action. I mean, there's so much stuff happening at once. I just want to say the entire B-plot where Bernard wants to uh, propose to Bianca and Jake comes in and is like, I'm going to be, now it's a love triangle. All of that can get shipped away. Stupid as shit. Put literally anything else in there. I don't want children's minds clouded with all of this heterosexual nonsense, quite frankly. I think it's bad for kids. It's not even like a will they, won't they. Bianca's got it for Bernard the entire freaking time and always has his back and is just waiting for him to finally actually say the words. The bigger issue for me is that nobody in this movie works as a team because Jake is now sort of Jake is his entire job is to show Miss Bianca how much better he is at outbacking than uh, than Bernard. So and he doesn't really ever do anything. And then they get trapped down the line and then Bernard has to do all of this. There's a lot of opportunities for a team to come together, which happens in the rescuers. Everybody Mm. works together. They meet friends along the way and blah, blah, blah. This never happens in this, and I feel like one of the reasons why is because Bernard and Jake have to be at each other's kind of throats the entire time. They're very gently at it. It's more like Bernard's like, well, I guess he well, he's already won. Not even gonna try. Bianca could care less. Jake is under delusions that he's just gonna sweep, sweep in. It's like it is a love triangle, but nobody in the love triangle knows that there's a triangle. Well, yeah, because it's like Miss Bianca says she's single. So Jake is like, hello. And then Bernard's like, I can't get time alone with Bianca to propose. And then there's that weird Australian stereotype of the one-upmanship thing where it's just like, uh, yeah. I wrestle crocodiles. At some point he says no worries. And, a, at like, and it's like a, and I'm like, oh yeah, that was back when 
when not everybody said that, I guess. And it was supposed to be just an Australian thing. Yeah, it's I think but Corey hit the nail on the head in that it's set up like a love triangle, but there's no real love triangling that's mm. happening. Mm -hmm. So it neither advances the plot at all. This does not get us any closer to rescuing this kid. And it's not interesting enough on its own to be a freestanding thing. Like there's literally no payoff to any of it. There's never a point where, where Jake is like, oh no, I I realize now what Bianca sees in you. I was I was a jerk. Let's work together. There's no point where Bernard's like, oh, I realize now that Bianca always loved me and I shouldn't have been worried. They just nothing happens to it. It's just yeah. Just sitting there like a lump. And the thing is with the rescuers and the thing is with most Disney movies is that if you're one small thing or two small things, a mouse or whatever, is that there's not much you can do on your own. But as soon as you sort of have your found family, yep. then you can do anything you want. And that never mm -hmm. happens in this. Anyways, moving on. Hospital. Wilbur's back is broken. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Mousepital. <laughs> His x-ray is just him splayed out. It's weird we're in a horrible world war one ambulance oh, yeah. and there are like nurse mice and a british doctor mouse and yeah. wilbur's restrained and uh bernard and bianca are like peace see ya <laughs> you, seem to, you seem to be in good hands here get back to us when you're useful john candy comes to him he's like i feel like my head's in a vice and his head is in a vice for reasons i guess they're trying to stabilize him anyways they're not good doctors and they like tie him up they truss him up and then they take a shotgun with two hypodermic needles <laughs> And aim it at his patoot. And then do, the movie doesn't even give us the satisfaction of watching him get shot no, in the butt. They do true. a long shot of the of the hospital and you just hear him go, Wow, my bottom, or whatever. Maybe they had like a cut scene from the great mouse detective that they decided to shoehorn in here. <laughs> I mean, I gotta tell you, it's not a coincidence that they had the bird wearing a bra for a second because this is padding. Like this is like <laughs> This is not. <laughs> this this is a movie only an hour and seventeen minutes long. It doesn't need padding. Once you no. cast John Candy, you need to give John Candy time, and traumatize a generation of millennials, uh, much like the rescuers with the child abuse thing. It's like it's filling in the blanks. It's like there's all the hospital stuff that happens in hospital movies that doesn't happen on screen here, but is implied. Anyways, we go to McLeach's underground cavern. What do you what do you need with a cave face other than a giant fireplace and some crocodile skins and tortoise shell and a child restrained in front of a map of Australia and your your lizard friend Joanna and Joanna's soaking in a tub in front of the fireplace. Like the Witcher, just yeah, you got a big <laughs> box of animal crackers. Toss, toss a coin to your lizard. Yeah, she like she de decapitates an animal cracker like you're supposed to. She bites an animal cracker in half and does the popcorn toss. It's just wow to be that lizard. I loved animal crackers as a kid. I'm not gonna lie, I would have luxuriated in this scene. I now want to, I like, it looked fine for Joanna in the movie, but hearing you really sell us on that, Corey, the idea of sitting in a bath and eating animal crackers, making sure to break off their little heads first, that sounds really nice. 
That sounds okay. chill as hell. By a roaring fire, no less? Eating in the tub is not attractive to me ever since I saw Gummo. I'm sure a lot of things weren't attractive to you. <laughs> I mean, there's so much, so, so much, so much that I've repressed about Gummo. <laughs> I do want to, I do want to sniff airplane glue, though. Sure. <laughs> you might as well try it. And I'll tell you a story, a le- an important lesson I learned from a very old man. Uh, when I was in the theater department at BU, uh, there was reason for an older actor to be brought in for a reading not associated with the uh not associated with the thing uh, with the university and we were sitting there killing time backstage there was a radiator peeling and he was like is that lead paint and i was like it's probably not i assume we got rid of all of that because kids were eating it and he was like you know why kids were eating lead paint and i went i don't tell me and he was like i'm an old man and i'm not going to be around a much a lot longer and i happened to be in an apartment once that had lead paint there was nobody else around and it was peeling. So I looked around and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to try some. So you're saying it was appealing. He peeled off. Yeah, exactly. He peeled off a big bite and he was like, how do you think it tasted? And I went, I don't know. And he said, that shit tastes just like candy. It was goddamn delicious. That's Dang. why kids were eating it. And I never tried it for myself. We, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of lead paint left. I acknowledge that I've made a lot of Simpsons references on this episode. But are you used to tell me that lead paint is not only is actually delicious, but deadly, as I learned from Troy Mathur? Yes, it is actually supposedly delicious. I'm sorry to take up all this time, but my point is, Anna, you only go around once. <laughs> is that your point? My only lead paint story is is someone taking their lead paints across the border and they had white lead for, for doing their paintings and the, the, the border guard wanted to lick it to test for, for powders. And... Uh, they had to dissuade a border guard from eating paint that was made of white lead. My point was, Anna, you should sniff glue. Okay, you know what smells good? Gasoline. And I only imagine it was more delicious in the lead days. Okay. Listen, I, I want to make it clear that I have access to actual, like, intoxicants and also actual candy. Fine, don't sniff glue and eat lead paint, then you fucking kill Joy. <laughs> the straight-laced Anna, that's me. Just live in a cave and sharpen your Bowie knives. We're back with our mice. <laughs> sure. Does anything else happen in this? Oh, this is when he whips knives at his head and is like, where yeah. are the eggs? Are yeah. they in Suicide Gulch? Or the the mice scene is yeah. Bianca and Bernard at the swamp having a nice restful evening in <sighs> the sunset glow. Nearly getting married, getting engaged. And then there's a really cool scene where Jake is grappling a water snake and then lassoes it and then shows it who's boss and gets it to to give them a ride for reasons. And Bernard falls in the water like the stupid idiot he is. And then he has to ride on the back of the snake while mm-hmm. Jake and Bianca get to ride high and dry up on the head where cool people live. Well, Jake always makes uh, Bernard be in the situation where he has to ride on the most uncomfortable part of whatever they're riding on. Did you two get the sense that the snake and uh, Jake were going through the motions? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good. So this was a that was a bit. This is a familiar relationship. That this was a bit that they was trying to impress Bianca. I did not, but that makes perfect sense. I'll tell you why I don't think that. Which is because later in the film Bernard pulls the same shit on a on a, a razorback and it appears to work. He learned it from Jake. 
Corey, I know you learned it from Jack. What are you doing? Self-confidence, how to do the eyes, how to be a bully. Like, come on. My point is, if it was just like, if it's just a scam that the two of them were running, then it wouldn't have worked on the Razorback. Oh, not a That's... scam. I'm just saying this is the snake that Jake knows and does this regularly with. Jake's snake? Yeah. Oh, I see. So whoever wins, whoever wins their, their tussle gets to ride on the other one. Presumably. Or they have to, I don't know, three out of five with checkers. Back in the evil basement. Uh, well, this is the basement to the cave. Leech throws the little boy Cody in a, in a cage and locks it. And now we meet a thousand million other animals who, in my head, I go, and these animals who we are ve being very introduced to are all going to come back and help save the day at the end. Spoiler, that shit does not happen. And they just abandoned the fuck out of them. Yeah, that's weird to me. That to me yeah. is one of those like, we ran out of money. Thanks. These are just your jaded old prison cellmates who have yep. given up on freedom and are just like, stop even trying. I just want to die, and, and they're, they're very gallows humory. like, I'm going to leave well, as a purse. I will say that it does introduce Disney's second most popular platypus character. You know, Ferb's mother was in that Chippendale movie. Anyways, uh, there's a koala that talks a lot, and it's on top of a platypus that doesn't say anything, and then there's a kangaroo that, as a kid, I thought was the same kangaroo from earlier, but this one's a boy kangaroo. Mm. Uh, and then there's, like, a comedy lizard in the oh, barrel man. with Cody named Frank. He's a frilled lizard. He hops around. We get a lot of Frank in this movie. Back to Fern Gully. Like, this is the bat character that Robin Williams voices. Yes. but Except Batty Coda at least had jokes. Frank is, like, like if you did a 23 and me on Frank, I suspect he's part Gungan. <laughs> Frank's bit is that everyone hates him and doesn't believe in him. And that's funny. Frank brings the energy of a four-year-old that has gotten to eat all, all the candy they wanted today. Yeah, and they thought this was going to be a big breakout character, I'm sure, but not. Yeah. He sucks in this. He sucks in a couple of scenes, and then here's the thing that bothers me most about Frank in this whole scenario is that it is very obvious from the get-go and even becomes textual later that frank can fucking get out of this cage whenever he goddamn chooses he's small enough to get out through the the, the holes in the wire or whatever you want to call it because it's like chicken wire or something it's fairly big holes and he could just he could just have done this the whole time he could have rescued everybody but he's too stupid he's very stupid I, I get that but the other animals should also could have been smart enough to be like hey frank get out of that fucking cage or kid now that you're in there shove him through this is something that will bother me until i die whenever i see a cartoon cell of some kind or whatever where they haven't bothered to make it look like the paces between the bars or whatnot are in fact large small enough for the person not to be able to just walk on out now, I will say on the back of the Lorax fucker, it is both chicken wired <laughs> and screened in mesh. The the computer can't even handle it. Like there's a weird density and counter moray. And yeah. like, that was a bad choice. This just having a normal chain link barrel <laughs> it's, like you yeah. do is fine in this scene. Cody convinces the group to tr try a jailbreak for once in their lives like just a little bit of hope and they tie some sticks together with a hook and try to get the key off the the, the it, thing some really good together partnership yeah stuff. people work together here for it's once yep. and for it backfired immediately lesson learned <laughs> yep. 
Never work together. Yeah. Joanna comes in through the doggy door and is like, what's this keys? You're all trying to escape. I'm going to break everything you've worked together to make. Joanna's a surprisingly competent guard. Joanna's amazing. Like she's got like a sixth sense for like when people are trying to escape with an elaborate scheme. Like, I feel like if if McLeach wasn't keeping her fed, uh, she would she would probably just run the base. Like probably. Yeah. But she loves eggs. Does love eggs. Who doesn't? Eggs. Um, funny word. So nothing works, and then Frank is just like, "I gotta do it with my tail." And then we go to a scene where Jake and Bianca and Bernard are riding these glow bugs, like Ferngully, yep. like their yep. motorcycle scooter things. Yeah. And of course, Bernard falls underwater because. That's how he gets from A to B. And it's like, what did they what did they want and what did they end up with? And this scene, mm-hmm. I have to believe they wanted the indoor uh speeder chase. Like oh, maybe something like that. This is a cool thing Jake knows how to do. He's introducing Bianca to the wonderful world of Australia, and Bernard just doesn't fit in. He's not yeah. a country mouse. And it's neat. I don't know if the bugs would be able to support. We don't need to worry about that sort of thing. <laughs> it's not. It's not worth it. It's just not. It just it's isn't. Two-dimensional beings don't have mass. Like, come on. This is va- valid. They have some mass. Some mass, which can be cut into with all sorts of sharp tools like chainsaws. Back to the hospital. <laughs> uh, we, there is Orville or Wilbur. I still can't keep it straight, and it's I don't Wilbur. care. John Candy, the albatross, is now being prepared for operation, and they're basically just like, how about these knives? No, they're not sharp enough. What we need is a chainsaw for us. No, rustier. <laughs> Did you know the chainsaw was built to aid in childbirth procedures for, for cutting the pelvic bones? I did not know that, and I'm horrified to have found it out. Surely they're smaller for that purpose. Nope, same size. <laughs> Surely they must be smaller. Yeah, they're definitely used. Yeah. So before it was used in forestry, the first use of a chainsaw was for uh, childhood? That was why it was invented. That's oh, it was never. It, somebody was like, wait a second, this is a bad idea. Well, they do have bone saws now. Childbirth is extremely safe and everyone loves it. Yeah, um, nobody, and everybody should be made to do it regardless of how they feel. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Uh, <laughs> this will air in September, but it's, uh, this is for, <laughs> I mean, it's 4th right. of July tomorrow. Uh, anyways, Wilbur, Wilbur's just like, don't use that chainsaw on me. 92 pop culture references and jokes. I'm improvising and he escapes. And his back gets fixed, yeah, because they like Winnie the Pooh. He's stuck in a hole. They tug on his feet. It's great. And then uh, Cody's faceless mother receives yes. Cody's crocodile-torn she's, backpack from a faceless ranger. She's not even faceless. She's largely headless. We didn't need this scene. We didn't because we never meet this mother again. Yeah. The radio is telling us the search is called off because they definitely found a, a child murdered by crocodiles they absolutely called the radio station to let them know like before they headed to the mother's place like we well i'm sure we could get there first she found out at the same moment <laughs> it's like, in stereo what the hell it is shot for maximum like make everybody as sad as possible so you know at the end of the movie there's going to be that tearful reunion no Nope, nope, Mm-mm. nope, nope. We don't get that. It really feels like they told them they weren't allowed to make the rest of the movie. And is this just- the last time we see mom? Oh yeah, hundred and totally percent it is. Yeah, we never, <laughs> we never see her again. 
Well, you know what's more important than grief? Uh, comedy. Is it eggs? <laughs> it is eggs, which is part of comedy. Eggs is a funny word. <laughs> I've never heard that before. McLeach is hungry, so he, he grabs his toolbox eggs from the fridge, and it's like, I'm going to grill myself some eggs. I need protein to make my gains. And <laughs> while he's in like a Looney Tunes style cave with a countertop in front of him and a Bunsen burner. He moves the egg basket from side to side and Joanna grabby grabby's in until the end of the scene where McLeach slams the lid down on her fingies and, and then, she eats all the eggs. And the, and it turns out she's already eaten all the eggs. Now, here's the important thing about Joanna eating eggs. Is maybe you're picturing like Joanna cracking an egg open and dripping it into her lizard mouth. No, she just swallows fucking eggs whole. Like that like that kid in that one scene in making contact. I think more interesting than the swallowing the eggs whole is the taking your lizard tongue and wrapping it around the egg to hold the egg behind your head while someone checks inside your mouth. The scene is actually gold. Yeah. This this whole thing was a nice little bit. Thank you for reminding me that that tongue animation is fantastic. That was a, it's a that nice, was amazing. it's a nice little bit. This is why Joanna's the best character. Corey's a thousand percent right. And this is one of the few scenes that you watch this and you go like, "All right, Disney, Disney does this. Disney can do. Disney does good little character bits like this." Yes. Anyway, Frank successfully unlocks the lock with his lockpick tail and and in and his despair to fuck everything up fall, falls out of the cave is like oh i'll never succeed i give up and he slams the door and he's like ah ha, ha, ha. frank is locked out now while cody is locked in still and then the, like predictably the things that you would expect to happen around this happen frank finally gets a clue and is ineffectually trying to get the keys because you know what? Frank makes Cody look so smart. Is it getting the clue if like six people are yelling at you constantly what you need to do next? Only a little bit because Frank, it does still take him a long Frank, time. Nope. Get a taller thing to stand on. Break. No, that's a flat piece of wood. Frank. Okay. Here's a possibility. What if Frank is like just a sociopath and has been messing with them the whole time? He's just like, I just want to see how far I can push these people. A classic Kaiser Sose scenario. Exactly. Where in fact, <laughs> he's the poacher the whole time. Yeah, right. He just, he walks out of there, puts on his, his hat, straightens on up, starts talking with perfect diction. He talks like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a quality and day. And Cody looks on the wall and they're like, wait, Frank's brown beans? <laughs> Which is like literally the only possible thing to attach this to. You know, to be fair, I didn't watch the movie through the end credits, so maybe maybe that's what happens. Maybe that's maybe that's the tag. I watch I watch every movie through the end credits. Well, because you are a responsible film goer and I right. am trash. Josh, the only difference between you and me is that you're you like watching movies and I'm a cineast. I mean, you're some kind of ass for sure. <laughs> hey, oh. Any, oh, anyway, there's like 10 minutes left in this movie. Oh, my God. Anyway, so Frank, Frank tries to get the keys. He's bad at it. Joanna shows up and they have a tussle and somehow Cody gets out. I don't know. If Frank ends up on top with the keys in Joanna's mouth like uh, reins. Oh, yeah. And they pass them all around. They, they, they yeah. Pass yeah them and then around, they, right? he, he accidentally drops them near Cody and Cody grabs them and unlocks yeah. himself and then tries to free the other animals. But McLeach is like, <laughs> he just turns around. Hi. And McLeach is just there. And this was all pointless. This is all busy work. Can we talk about howdy, howdy, howdy for a second? Howdy, howdy, howdy. Because that's also 
at one point, one of the toys in Toy Story one dresses up like Woody and goes, "Hey, everybody, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy." Oh, yeah. Which I always assumed was a callback to a, one of my favorite Far Side cartoons, where it's a bunch of vultures standing around a corpse we do not see, and one of them is wearing a hat and coat and is just going, "Hey, everybody, I'm a cowboy. Howdy, howdy, howdy." So I'm now curious if that is what gave us both the howdy 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 in this and then gave us the howdy 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 in or if it's just a big coincidence and everybody just loves saying howdy howdy but it's the same joke three times it's unknowable because like every time i pull it out people think it's the toy story shark thing and, but no, I, and it's I go oh it's that far side cartoon and there you go right. correct and i have never thought about it at all i think about stuff like this for too much during the egg scene with mcleach and joanna mcleach was like oh my lizard loves eggs, but so does Cody because the eagle has eggs. So what if I told Cody the eagle was dead, then he would want to go protect the eggs. So I should kick him out of my house right now. Hey, you can't free these kangaroos and whatnot. Get out of my house. And then he kicks him out the front door <laughs> just as the mice arrive, more or less. Yeah, Anakin and Padme meme. But you're going to come back for them later, right? right no cody runs <laughs> off directly like a to b cody yep. to eggs follow me leech follow me audience follow me everybody here's exactly where the eggs are mr mcleach stay closer you're not gonna see where i go <laughs> i can't i i know you're in a giant loud truck but i can't be certain you're following me i have to visually determine it the mice hop on at this point is it all three mice still yes. or yes. okay so the mice hop on to the lorax fucker and they all take <laughs> off this is the part where Bernard and Bianca like do the fun bit where they're where they're running on the treads and then they I thought this was really cool because it's a really good use of the fact that they're really small. They're running on the treads like a conveyor belt, like going the opposite direction and they're they can't they're not fast enough. And this is cool because it's Bernard's idea. Bernard's like hiding the tread and then they just stay in the tread and it doesn't squish them because they're little. And I like yeah. that a lot. And then Jake, because he's Australian, gets to use his whip to save them all. Right. Yes. It's great. Everybody contributed to this rescue. Oh no, Bianca did nothing. <laughs> Bianca looked stylish and she, as always, had little rosy cheeks. You know, sometimes surviving is enough. Yeah, why does everybody have to do something? Because Bianca's great and she doesn't do anything in almost this entire movie except sort of just be pretty. And she's encouraging. Great. And she and she keeps referring to Cody as the boy, even though she knows his name. A lady, the lady's two jobs: be encouraging and be pretty. She's enabling the male characters, which is what they need. The end. Wow. Cody arrives at the top of the cliff where the egg nest is, climbs down. The mice are like, "We gotta follow that child to warn him because there's this giant noisy vehicle that he didn't notice <laughs> up at the top of the cliff." Yeah. Yeah. So Cody arrives down in the nest. He's like, oh, wow, good. The eggs are, are okay. They're still warm and alive and not uh, dead like rocks. And uh, <laughs> yeah. then he hears the eagle scream. He's like, oh, wow, McLeach lied to me, probably. Uh, the eagle's still alive. Goody, goody, goody. Yay. And then McLeach from his uh, Lorax fucker fires a missile that explodes like fireworks into a giant net that catches the eagle. We don't know what that missile is going to do first, We though. sure don't. No, it's and just a missile. I yelled at the top of my lungs, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, oh no. It gets the eagle in a big bag with ropes on it. 
So the eagle can't escape. So Cody jumps on it and he's like, well, hmm, let's see. We're perilously high up, but I think I'm just going to start cutting through these ropes with my little, little wee boy knife, which did not get taken away from me and maybe could have aided in my escape. Nope. He gave it back. He threw it out after him mm -hmm. when he threw him out of the cave. Bianca and Jake make the jump to the net with the boy because they're here to rescue that child. And Bernard whiffs it. Yeah. Gets left in the nest. Isn't that always the way? The man gets left alone with the kids while the woman goes out to party. Yeah. So Cody doesn't achieve the eagle freedom that he wants. And the giant crane with the net and the boy and the two mice drops into the cage yeah. on the back of the monster truck slash tank slash dinosaur hunting vehicle that McLeach has. I actually assume that Cody's plan was to set the eagle free and that it would burst out of its its entrapment and fly him to freedom, which, you know, I mean, it happened once. And as per the agreement with McLeach, Joanna gets to eat the eagle eggs because she's allowed to eat every egg they come across except for uh, McLeach eggs. Yeah. Which I hope are chicken eggs, but who can say? I question McLeach's judgment on this one because it's like... It's so weird. I, oh my God. I've found this giant heretofore thought to be mythical god eagle. I've already killed its father. Uh, and I assume got a ton of money for it. Now this is going to be great. Oh, look, three new potential revenue streams. I'll feed them to my lizard. He's like, oh, we don't want any more of these because you'll be even more rare if there are if there's no more of you. Oh, I missed that line. Yeah, he says something around along this is those very lines. simple supply and demand economics. There's a big demand for giant ass golden eagle feathers and whatnot, and uh -huh. there's no demand for uh, things you can't have. So <laughs> the supply yeah. decreases and the demand stays the same. And Joanna's got to have her eggs. Her delicious, delicious, rock-hard, rock-like eggs. So she shimmies down there. Uh, yeah, and... yeah. Uh, McLeach gives her a harness and punts her off the cliff. Yeah, basically goes fishing with her. <laughs> this scene goes on too long, but I don't really mind. Yeah, exactly, because it's Joanna. But it's Joanna trying to eat rocks that look like eggs. And I was really hoping she was just going to swallow one and then be like too heavy and be like, oh no, now I'm all heavy. And instead, she's real clever. She knows she has to eliminate the eggs and not necessarily eat them because they're clearly inedible. So she lines them up like a cat and whips yep. them off the cliff before yep. giving the double tug that she wants to be pulled up. It's adorable pet behavior because, yeah. uh, you know, there's no there's no accumulated knowledge. So Joanna puts one egg in her mouth and makes this look at the like almost like she's looking at us going, eh, eh, I got it. And then spits it out. And then goes to the next one is like, this one's an egg. How? And it's just, I could watch her try and eat rocks all day. Guess what? Bernard, who is left behind in the nest, has cleverly concealed the real eggs and replaced them with rocks. Because apparently, apparently, if you gently tap the top of this overhang that hangs above these precious eggs, an egg-sized rock just drops. An egg-sized and shape just drops off the top. It's nature, okay? Wilbur was hitting on some flamingos and yeah. flew into a cloud and then landed in the nest Ugh. like nature. Hey, it's me, Wilbur. Remember me? <laughs> it's like, well, Wilbur, I don't think you have I don't think you're gonna be useful for the rest of this film. So sit on these eggs or else. I'm just gonna catch up to this machine that goes so much faster than me on my own, and I guess climb up this cliff. 
Literally, Bernard now carries the last like 10, 11 minutes yeah. of the movie and all of the, kind of the big action sequences. And on one hand, I get it because it's like he felt like he couldn't prove himself in the Wild and Woolly Outback. And then he does. But it's like you've introduced all of these characters and you have all of these birds and kangaroos and mice and talking. There's the kangaroo from the beginning of the movie. Like there are all these characters that you want to see like kick this poacher's ass. And none of that happens. And I feel like, honestly, like the way the movie does it, there's really only like a soupçon of like Bernard feeling like out of place and unable to do things. There's no point in the like what you would expect for this type of narrative. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, is that he would fuck something up pretty bad by trying to overreach and Bianca would be disappointed with him and Jake would be like, ha ha, you don't know what you're doing. And he would have to prove himself. But all he does is be like a little bit incompetent and out of place. It's nothing to pay off. It's just like sight gags, really. You want that feeling at the end of act two. Well, now we're proper fucked. Right. There's no, there's literally no way out of this, but that doesn't happen. Bernard's just like, stay here, guy who could help me and stay there, animals and everyone. I got this. And he's, and he does it. And he's got it because he's, because Bernard is actually just really competent. He just maybe needs more Mm -hmm. self-confidence. So he just walks a lot. He goes on walkabout, if you will. McLeach and Joanna are cackling in the cab of the vehicle. Cody's raising a fuss like children do and blows the raspberries at Joanna. Joanna reciprocates by pulling a face. And Cody, like, bops the window so it hits Joanna in a really funny way. And (laughs) then, meanwhile, Jake and Bianca are having a conversation. Bianca's like... Don't worry, Cody Bernard's on the case. And then Jake's like, well, good job lying to that kid. We're all screwed. Thumbs up. And she's like, no, I believe in him. You don't know him. He never stops. He's <laughs> unstoppable. He's like, like a He's like a stevedore in the bed. Oh, my. Yeah. He's got so much stamina. You wouldn't believe. New heart in the streets. Way hard in the sheets. <laughs> yeah. And we see, like, Bernard following the tracks, and the vehicle is still in sight. Like, he's still keeping up somewhat. He would have had 82 little tiny mouse heart attacks. <laughs> well, right. fortunately, his his he, he's getting pretty tuckered out after all that tiny mouse running. But he needs a Razorback, who is asleep, and he's like, all right, Bernard, time to put your gumption to the sticking point or however people say things. And exactly like that. <laughs> like Shakespeare like, wrote it. <laughs> I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the thing that Jake did because I'm at least as good as Jake. And he bullies this, this razor back into giving him a ride. It's interesting. Cause Corey had that in her notes as well. I, I, I didn't see it as bullying because I didn't see him being a dick or anything. He's just like, Hey, let's do this. And the pig's like, Yep, I'm an animated animal in a Disney movie. It's time to let's do this. Okay, so the pig is asleep. He approaches the pig. He grabs the pig's tusks without consent and wrenches its head to the side in a dominance display. Yeah. Admission. I was looking at my phone during this scene. Okay, uh-huh. well, uh-huh. that's a, that is that is bully behavior. My mistake. It's literally bullying, and he and he implies that there will be undue violence should should he not be taken up on his generous offer. Now follow that. And the pig goes along with it because, uh, as we all know, Razorbacks are the most docile and loving creatures on God's green earth, which is why there isn't a literal horror movie called Razorback, which is Jaws in the outback with a giant fucking pig. <laughs> Listen. That's just how dominating Bernard has become. It's what the wild has done to him. It's what his seven minutes alone in the wilderness have turned him into. So we go back up to the top of 
big waterfall where there's crocodile lagoon and McLeach is just like, well, you're useless to me. Might as well follow up where I pretended you were dead by actually making you dead in this crocodile lake. And so he hoists him on a crane, sings a fun song while <laughs> putting spotlights at the crocodiles. I know I've said I hate McLeach so much. This actually, the whole thing where he's doing this dumb little dance and singing his little song, the doop it doop it doo, I'm gonna kill a kid. This is pretty good. This is you gotta ride, I gotta reel, right? Yeah. Is that where they do this? You, you gotta, gotta ride, I gotta, I gotta reel. reel. Yeah. Cram, crambo or whatever. I just feel like I, I feel like if he brought this sort of like evil chipper energy to the rest of the thing, it would have been more fun. I kind of think he he's just he's an evil cracker. This this really hit properly for me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he's just dancing around being a dork, and he's gonna murder a child. And he drops the kid into the water, and yeah. then yoinks him back up, just within reach. If one of those crocodiles wanted to jump, they could jump. <laughs> he's yep. like, oh, I better get their attention. Just dropping a flailing child into the water won't be enough. You gotta have a spotlight. They gotta get roused a little. But then, kachunk, the lorix fucker goes dark. <laughs> right and a razorback escapes from the cab of the vehicle like, joanna why is there a razorback in my truck it's your fault you're a bad guard lizard then he goes in the truck to, and he feel, sees his keys are gone and bernard's hiding behind like the gas pedal and it's this little little bit where he keeps hiding and it's and then he's like okay the danger's over and he goes top down and he looks pointedly at some wires in the floor like he might do something with them and nothing happens with it which again makes me feel like something got truncated like, it looks like he was like, you know what I should do is I should I should disable this truck and this vehicle entirely in case the keys were returned or something. But he just maybe he didn't like, want to get electrocuted. I don't. But why? Like, why point? Like, why focus on like this is the thing? Why focus on that? It just it's a beat that's definitely there that doesn't has no payoff. What I agree with what Josh said earlier. It feels like there was a point where they were like, you got to finish this movie. Just stop it at a reasonable point. No, none of this denouement. Yeah, just finish, get it done, so we can put it in theaters. And there's like 13 minutes or so that's just not in there. And so we glumph towards our ending. Now it's time to dispatch our bad guys mm -hmm. once and for all. Bernard is under the vehicle with the keys. Joanna sneaks up behind him, very extremely close, and he gets kind of oh, the idea because stuff happened earlier that we saw. It's not his idea, it's the audience's idea, whatever. He scrambles up to McLeach while Joanna's on the hunt and Joanna barrels into Leech, knocking them both into the water. McLeach at this period of time was like, hey, power's out, I've got a gun, I might as well shoot the rope that the child is hanging from. <laughs> as opposed to just the child, I guess. That's no fun. There's no plausible deniability if the child's full of bullet holes instead of crocodile teeth holes. He's going to be all tied up. <laughs> that might be a problem. Well, they're never <laughs> going to find the body. Anyways, he's all like, ah, Joanna, and Joanna swims to safety while he goes off a waterfall. Well, he fights off all the crocodiles hand-to-hand -hand first, which is actually kind of badass. I'm like, oh, a crocodile's going to eat you, and he's like, nope. Did he fight them off, or did they give up after time? No, he punched, he punched them a bunch. I'll get credit where credit's due. And then, basically, Joanna hops to a safe rock to live the rest of her life. <laughs> no longer in indentured servitude to this malignant cracker, eating all the eggs she wants and looking at him kind of wistfully and kind of like, oh, it sucks to be you, G, uh, as McLeach goes off the side of the world's largest waterfall and is dashed to a million pieces and dies. Uh, good death. Good death. Uh, lo loathsome, 
noxious bad guy, a very good bad guy. I liked this bad guy and I found him vile and he died real good and I was happy about it. But they use his death to increase the danger for the protagonist because Cody falls in the water and we're like, right. oh no, the waterfall is there and the crocodiles. It's okay, the strongest mouse in the world will save him. Bernard dives into the water and grabs the rope and ties it around a branch of the tiny little dead twig. Oh, first he drags into the surface at some point. Brief moment. <laughs> I feel like Cody was, was involved. Listen, Corey, sometimes when a mouse is in a really stressful situation, their adrenaline's going, they can perform feats of amazing strength. And there's no need to set that up or anything like that. You could have even said at any point in the movie, like, why you have no idea what you can do when you're put to the test. Anything like that. <laughs> no, Bernard just, Bernard's just super and he has all the powers of Jesus yeah, Christ. He's not going to be re recruited to the Avengers and he doesn't have lightning powers. And then every, they save him. They save everybody's saved and he's fine. The, the keys, back to the keys, the keys. Uh, Bianca and Jake have been passing it up. They unlock the door just as Cody goes over the waterfall. End of movie. I mean, Marahude saves Cody again by diving down and, and saving him. And then they all fly off comfortably and in their proper seats. And Bernard, because every three-year-old watching this movie was very concerned about whether or not Bernard and Miss Bianca were going to be uh, no longer living in sin. Yes. So Bernard successfully proposes to Bianca and Jake is just like, thumbs up, crikey, you're a better man than I. I guess I didn't <laughs> did do it. anything, but <laughs> I didn't do anything this whole movie. Basically, I didn't do anything this whole movie. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> the better man won. Yep. Yeah. And then John Candy does some ad-libbing about sitting on eggs. Yeah, there's a silhouette of the cliff face, and they let John Candy riff for like 10 minutes, I swear, yeah. about yep. like child rearing. But it's the end. Credits yep. roll. And it's like, well, so presumably eventually the eagle came back to her egg babies, and Cody went back to his mom, and they saved those other animals. Like, fuck, fuck with good care. Yeah. I do think there was supposed to be more here. I kind of was expecting like a big banger, all hands on deck finale. And it just, just sort of ends. Um, sure and that's it. And that's the movie. And Corey, when was the last time you watched this before you watched this today? I've seen rescuers more recently, probably about 15 years ago, but I haven't watched this since the early two thousands, probably. Holy mm. shit. So how did, so how did it land? Pretty good. Like yeah. it was, it was better than I thought. This absolutely is a movie I think you like. If I saw it, if I learned you hadn't, I'm like, Corey, you should watch The Rescuers Down Under because it's your jam. Does this for you, do you think become like a Sunday afternoon hungover or whatever? <laughs> just like I got to fold some laundry, I'll throw on RDU. <laughs> As the kids call it. Yeah. No, no, very unlikely. I'll I'll watch it again probably sometime in the distant future. I don't like rewatching things for the most part. Uh, I like more of a fresh experience. I like both. I like watching new things, but then I like like, oh, you know what? I got I just want to lay here and fall asleep or whatever. No, there's comfort movies. You guys don't have comfort movies? Okay. If I have a really bad headache and I, I I'm like just, I can't do anything and I need it to pass. And I just like, I need something soothing. I'll watch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because it's 
It's got very nice chill music and the color values are very um, soothing when I have a headache. And it's, it's an amazing movie. It is wonderful. And it's, a, and it's like one of the best movies ever made. Sure. But generally speaking, like I'm like Corey, like I, I will rewatch things, but not, not unless I haven't seen them in quite a while or there's a different version or something. Or if it's a movie that I feel like I like something I've watched and it was a like a, a while, like not a long, long while ago, but like that was very dense. And I'm like, OK, I want to do another watch of this not having seen it now. But I still I'm not somebody who's going to rewatch something like the next day. Really, I want something to sit. Oh, yeah. For a while. Yeah. There needs to be a little breathing room. My, but the corollary to that for me is for commentaries. When we were in the thick of the pandemic and our late dog uh, was needed to go to the bathroom every 90 minutes, I took the nighttime shift so I would watch a Giallo Mm -hmm. and then take Banjo out to the bathroom and then watch the commentary and then take Banjo out to the bathroom. I've stopped sort of daisy chaining the movies and the commentaries because I need a little time for my brain to work and Mm -hmm. process. But yeah, I go back and forth. I like new things, but like I'll throw, it's like throwing out an album. Like I've always considered movies and albums to be kind of interchangeable. And it's just like, oh, I'm just going to put something on Godfather's on AMC. And that's 92 hours with commercials. And it's just like, I'm going to let that ride. The reason I don't do what you're talking about is that I don't put movies on as a background thing or TV or anything like that. When I watch something, I am completely focused on it. And if I can't completely focus on it for whatever reason, because I'm not liking it, I'm not into it, or I'm too distracted, I will turn it off. I like to bring my full attention to to things. That's just how I am. So, And I just have so much new, so much stuff that I have not seen, and I feel a tremendous pressure from it. That I rarely rewatch things by myself, I will say, unless it's like a new version or something. But I'll happily, I'll, I'll rewatch the shadow of things with Jen. That's a whole oh. different experience. Yep. There's stuff. Yes. There, the, the, exactly. There's watching it. Yeah. And when I'm watching a thing for the first time, the lights are off. I try mm-hmm. and keep my phone as far away from me as possible. And I just want to absorb. It's how you spend your attention. But absolutely. If you're watching, if you're watching somebody, if you're showing something to somebody, mm-hmm. that's a whole, that's a whole vibe. Yeah. Yeah. For like comfort viewing, I'll watch old cartoons. I'll watch like the Sailor Moon dub or sure. uh, Card Captors or Pokemon or like uh, Cyber Six. And if I want downtime, it's just like dark and silent. I won't even listen to music. Yeah. But for like going back to things, it takes me a long time. It's just like. Mm-hmm. A decade or more before I'll rewatch something. So ten years from now, we'll all meet back here to discuss Rescuers Down Under and see. Again, like, yes. Wait, are we gonna just like do this podcast for a decade, and then once we've hit like that ten year mark, we just start every, we just redo everything. Perfect. Anna, how dare you reveal my plans? <laughs> Wait, is, you know what? As I say it, I realize that it is absolutely something you would do. <laughs> She's going to boot us off the show at that point and get two new people in to listen to the, the first 10 years of the podcast and then watch the movies and then talk about it. That, that's more of a Corey move. It's like Menudo. Anna, what did you think of this movie? I thought it was okay. Um, it's fine. It's not. There was never a point in my life where I was going to embrace this movie uh, as a child nor as an adult. It's... I. It's fine. I'm glad I saw it because I did always sort of feel like, you know, I never saw that Rescuers Down Under. I wonder if it's a hidden gem. And it's mostly not. There's a great article that's an oral history of Rescuers Down Under, uh, mm. which I will include in the show notes uh, because... Do we have show notes? I will I will send it 
I will carry it, the link to Canada myself. I will hand it to you over the border through the chain link. In that visiting area of the Peace Arch. Yeah, I, I know the I know the place. It's into so it, there's a lot of interesting stuff. This is the Rescuers Down Under is kind of a non-event, but all of the stuff that it led to is really fucking amazing. So it's mm. like it's interesting to see that chain in the link. Yeah, no, this is like uh, meeting Sasquatch. Like, it's <laughs> it's it? oddly charming, even though it's not that great. Uh, <laughs> but it changes kind of everything afterwards. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The story behind it and what they did with the technology after mm -hmm. it is uh, it it creates Disney's next act. Yeah, and Pixar and, and Pixar and everything. Yeah, yeah. No, it absolutely feels like this midway. Thing that's neither um fish nor fowl in a lot of ways that's like yeah. a it's a transitional film i need to respect that if you will <laughs> if I will. um i'm glad i watched it thank you Corey. i don't regret watching it i mean you've you've made me watch th things i've hated a lot more than this <laughs> i would watch this again before i'd watch super underwater marine train express Boy, that's where you and I part ways. It's true. I'll I'll say this about rescuers and rescuers down under both under eighty minutes. Breezy, a lovely time. Well, thank you all for joining me. I uh, hope to see you again later. I'm Coriander Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Absalar. Uh, I'm Josh A. Kagan, and you can find me on Instagram at Josh A. Kagan. I'm Anna Wasserman, Canada's sweetheart. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at and OnlyFans. <laughs> Check out my OnlyFans where I get a little saucy. Like, like barbecue? Yes, I pour barbecue sauce over my naked torso. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Good night, everybody. This episode was edited with help from Matt Griffiths, aka at GoatPrince on Twitter. The next movie is Under the Silver Lake.